Digital Drift episode 63 recorded Sunday 22nd of March 2015, the seven most important superhero movies. Welcome. On this episode, I have asked my guests one simple but very expansive question. What are the seven most important superhero movies of all time? To qualify, they should have to be a movie, and they have to contain someone we all agree is a superhero. This should hopefully spark some interesting debate. Now, when we say important, we don't mean to us. These aren't our seven favorites. We're weighing up their historical significance and what influence we are able to chart at this point. Now, I've asked my guests to prepare their own list of seven beforehand, so it will be interesting to see which ones, if any, we all agree on and which ones we differ on. Now, while we're going through these, if any of you guys hear an argument for a film which actually convinces you, then by all means, change your list. At the end, we'll tally up between the five of us, resolving ties with a vote, and give you, the listeners, our collective seven choices. I am Alex Shaw. My co-host is my wife, Sharon Shaw. Good evening. Joining us once again for the first time since our chat about The Amazing Spider-Man 2, wherein we all agreed we want Sony to stop with that universe, Mr. Bob Movie Bob Chipman. Hello. Returning for the first time since our Star Wars Episode 7 announcement discussion from Gamertag Radio and Remember When, it's Paris Lilly. Hey, thank you for having me. And for the first time on the show from the new Cinematic Universe Superhero Movie Discussion Podcast, Mr. Joe Cunningham. Hello, thanks for having me. You're very welcome on the show, all of you guys. What is a superhero? How do we define it? That's the first question, because, I mean, that I mean, we've been discussing it for, for weeks now, Sharon, and I'm just in preparation for this podcast, and we're very interested to hear your views. So if you guys want to just jump in and, like, we can work out between us what's a superhero so that we know moving forwards throughout this podcast whether whatever we're talking about qualifies. Well, you see, I had a conversation with my co-host from Cinematic Universe before beforehand, um, and also one of our partners at Film Divider, and we we were arguing between do do superheroes start with Superman in terms of in the comics, and then the the comic characters that followed him are all superheroes. So you've got early you've got early uh, cult heroes like uh, Mandrake the Magician, mm-hmm. who. Uh, Certainly, my comic book focus pals were saying, "No, it's certainly you. You start with Superman and you move on from there." And while someone like Batman is in the vein of your earlier cult heroes, because he follows Superman, he is a superhero as well. So it's it's very difficult because someone like Batman doesn't have superpowers, but he hmm. certainly he certainly joins the tradition of superheroes from Superman onwards. And in the dividing line between Batman and Iron Man, we've got two billionaires with super high-tech suits. They're just hmm. different levels of how high-tech. And in fact, from looking at it, Batman v Superman the movie, he's wearing a freaking Iron Man costume. <laughs> 
So uh, we, we kind of have to, I mean, basically, we can't really do a list of seven superhero movies and go, well, technically Batman's a vigilante, so he doesn't count, because that is a weird way to sort of like undefine him, unless you yeah. guys differ. It, it really does seem like a term that doesn't, it never really had much meaning, and now it doesn't have any. <laughs> I mean, like, even the fact that they're called, they're called superheroes because Superman. Mm. Like, that was just the, I, I. I honestly, I should know this, but I forget when the term superhero actually first got used. But it was it was originally pretty much just used to describe characters who wore costumes and all appeared in superhero comic books. Mm. And it, it's, I mean, like, like, and some of them don't even wear costumes. Like, even in the Golden Age, you know, people like uh, The Question or whatnot just wore, like, a suit. Mm, mm. Or, like, The Phantom Stranger or someone like that. So it's it really is an almost completely meaningless term. Like now it pretty much means characters in movies based on comic books or original movies where they do comic book-like stuff, like give themselves a name and put on a costume. Because, mm-hmm. of course, Hancock has nothing to do with any comic specifically, but it's, it's totally a superhero movie. Right. And it's referencing that genre. It's It's a weird, nebulous genre, and it's a weird, nebulous word. It's one of those things where... You can't define it, but everyone knows what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. That, like, if you're talking about a movie superhero, there's not a lot of functional difference apart from attire between like Batman and James Bond, mm-hmm. and yet James Bond is not a superhero, and Batman is. Hmm. But whereas James Bond, if he originated in the Marvel universe, would be a superhero. Totally. And no, That's Nick and Fury for you. Right, and there'd be no argument about it. Like, no one would look at, like, the Nick Fury comics and say, no, he's not a superhero. They might say it in the comics to differentiate him. But, yes, he's one of the Marvel superheroes, and so is the Punisher, and so is Rick Jones in whatever costume he's wearing that week. Speaking and, of which, uh, I'd really like to see a Nick Fury movie. I'd love that. I think, I think a Sam- lot of Samuel people... Samuel Jackson would. <laughs> <laughs> I think Samuel L. Jackson's accountant would love to see a Nick Fury movie. <laughs> Maybe he could stop doing those Capital One commercials then. Yeah. Uh, At this point, Samuel L. Jackson has moved up from taking every role that comes along to taking every role that comes along that does not interfere with his golf time. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't think you'll see him starring in a Nick Fury movie anytime soon. I I mean, his Marvel contract is almost up, as Mm. is my understanding. Is it possible it was, we could get like a period drama of a young uh, Nick Fury? Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I, I think we could eventually see a 1960s era Nick Fury along oh. with uh, Agent Carter and um, uh, who am I, I forgetting? Think, Hank Pym. I think that will happen in Ant Man. Yeah, that's uh, what I think. There, there is certainly a, a scene that Haley Atwell is supposed to be turning up in, and we could get mm. a young Alexander Pierce, young Hank Pym, young Nick Fury. Maybe, Mind, yep, maybe. suddenly a lot more excited for Ant Man. <laughs> have have they established in the movies? I don't think they have exactly how old Nick Fury is. Uh, Jeff, he knew Howard Stark though. He knew Howard Stark yeah. when he right. was younger. I, so so they definitely established he's yeah. Well, well Sam is sixty. Well, Sam is sixty five. I mean, he mm. he's he's in really good shape for a guy his age, but he's in his mid sixties by now, I believe. Mm. And he he could actually be closer to 70, but I believe he's in his early to mid-60s. So conceivably he could be, but the version of Nick Fury that he looks like from the Ultimate Universe was alive in World War II and is slightly younger 
than he uh, than he would and is slightly older than he would appear. And so is the version from the Marvel Universe that his character mostly comes from is also another one of these people who is artificially young because they're time stamped and they have to fix that. Yeah. Okay, hang on. Before, like, well, before, like, okay, before we get bogged down in in, uh, in Nick Fury fanfic, which is what this is becoming, <laughs> uh, before we start, and uh, we've already started, considering the amount of different genres we've seen with superheroes in them, is superhero even a genre? And I know it's not. That's just what we were discussing during our frisbee game this afternoon. If not, what is it? I mean, it's it's kind of like the Christmas movie because everyone, if you put someone down in front of a Christmas movie, you mm. know you're watching a Christmas movie. But yeah. that could be Die Hard, that could be Gremlins, that could be It's a Wonderful Life, it could be Home Alone. They're films that are all could be over Christmas the place. The yeah, <laughs> in terms of genre, it can be it can be all over the place, but it it, it tends to be kind of the could be Iron Man three. Yeah, the uh, well, it could be exactly Shane Shane Black uh, has made lots of films at Christmas, and mm. and they are they are throwing across the genres so it's i think it does come down to it is it is i think it's partly what the source material is which mm-hmm. and it, it that that tends to be comic books graphic novels whether they wear a costume and whether they have powers and normally if you tick maybe two out of those three boxes you're probably watching a superhero movie yeah so so what would we describe it as a narrative device uh, a theme I would say it's a it's a storytelling device wherein the protagonist is set apart from the people around them by virtue of something that they can do which nobody else can do and either they resist that or they choose to embrace it but one way or another eventually uh, they try to use it for um, what they perceive as positive ends. Wow, this list just got huge. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's the imitation game. Mm. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, so I mean, the the, the we Sharon and I came up with a couple of different um, film, I suppose types, which actually kind of fit into a similar kind of m- like mode as superheroes. So we came up with musicals in that musicals can be about anything. They're just a sort of a framework for the movie. Uh, yeah. But we also came up with westerns, which is something which is like a theme, but it doesn't necessarily have to be set in the Wild West. For example, Star Wars is a Western. But there's also spy films, like um, it's something that's overriding in considering the occupation of the key character, wherein it's going to be a spy film no matter what you do because of this exotic um, occupation or preoccupation in terms of superhero. Um, And also police procedurals and military films. There's all kinds of different applications to a military um, theme to a film. So... uh, yeah, I mean, any others that you guys could name? I think westerns is probably the most apropos. Mm, mm. In in terms of its, you know, like like what defines a western? It's a movie set in the American Old West. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like you know, superhero movie, what defines it? It's a movie set either in the Marvel or DC universe or somewhere that looks kind of like that. Yeah. Or scenes so, kind of like that. What I was uh, implying with the whole Western thing was that there are tropes within a Western film which can be applied to other films that are set nowhere near and nothing to do with that time period and that geographical location. Uh, so similarly, superhero films, you can kind of put that mask and that cape anywhere. Mm. I think it, I think what it comes down to is, is it's a leap of faith as an audience to yeah. agree that it's a superhero movie because if you you know look at Guardians of the Galaxy it is a movie set in space where no one really has any superpowers mm. it's more a space opera sci-fi kind of movie mm-hmm. um, 
But because it's a Marvel movie and because it fits within the Marvel Cinematic Universe and because it's based on a comic book, we we kind of all go, yeah, that's a superhero movie we're watching. Um, yeah, and I, and so I think it, it mostly does come down to if we if we as an audience think we're watching a superhero movie, we're probably watching one. Yeah. Also, I, Guardians I of the Galaxy, a little bit of a western. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to go through my list chronologically to give us seven anchor points. Uh, so it's going to go like this. For superhero movie number one, does anyone on this show have anything on their list that was released before 1978? Nope. No. No. Bob? Uh, I had an asterisk next to Superman and the Mole Man, which was uh, the <laughs> the movie pilot for the uh, the theatrically released movie pilot for uh, the uh, the George Reeves super, Superman TV show. Okay, this will be interesting. Right, so... It's technically a film, but sell it, yeah. I, I put an <laughs> yeah. asterisk on it. Uh, so would this be like the first proper super, superhero movie? Um, It really depends on whether or not uh, you want to count the, the Zorro movies, which yeah. so, sort of predate uh, all of them, which, I mean, there were a lot of serials, but there were also Zorro movies and there were full features for characters like uh, Doc Samson, uh, Doc Samson, Doc Savage, um, characters like that who exist before superheroes, but now would probably not be called anything but because su- a lot of Superman uh, characteristics were borrowed from Doc Samson. Doc, I keep saying fucking Doc Samson, Doc <laughs> Savage, and a lot of Batman is taken from Zorro and Mandrake the Magi- and the Magician and such. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we can come back to that, I suppose, if, if there's um, uh, any on this list that we're still not sure about by the end. But I think that that one, like, that deserves the asterisk, but not necessarily that they're, like, hammered in stone yet. Yeah. Okay, so uh, I think we've probably all got this one then. I, so I threw this out to my three colleagues, and it was within our, within our group as well a unanimous decision. Um, it's I, I think there are probably a bunch of films that you can have before this with little asterisks next to them and say, well, that that kind of got close, and that was kind of was kind of in the same mold. But in terms of a big like a big movie that captured the imagination of the culture, I mean, everyone knows the tagline of that movie still. Um, mm. It really did set the paradigm for everything that follows. And yes, it was a franchise that within four movies had kind of um, torn itself apart from the inside and, and completely and completely disappeared. But it's 
it, it's the first, um, and it's still one of the best, mm. I think. Well, I think he summed it up very well, but I would just add on at, at my age during that time, I was probably about five or six years old. It made me believe that Superman could be real, that this guy could fly through the sky and he could save the day and be the, the superhero, so to speak, that we all wanted him to be from the comics. So it, it was the very first one. It set the table for everything that's come since. And like he said, it still holds up today. It was a fantastic story for its time. Mm-hmm. Have we read anyone at all? That there's a book called Superman versus Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I've not read. Um, it. It's very good. It's basically the production history of every Superman movie that got made or didn't get made. And uh, it's if you go through this book, and if you know this movie, and I love this movie. I love the the Richard Donner Superman. I think it's it it just it kills as a movie. It's got clunky parts. You know, a lot of the second act doesn't work. Can you read my mind is kind of lame. And Lex Luthor is all over the place as a bad guy. But, like, when it's on, it's really on. Mm. And it's the first time that anyone really took superheroes, which really are, and I, I don't mean this in any kind of, like, derogatory way, they're cartoons. You know, they started out as print cartoons. They moved on primarily to animation. This was the first time anyone basically took not just a comic book, but a cartoon and said, okay, how do we make this exist in the real world, but also still be itself? And the way it pulls it off when you consider no one had ever tried this. And when they were first like building up this movie, they went all the way up to starting production with the idea that maybe this should be a straight comedy because how else is anyone going to take this seriously? other than to, to point out that it's kind of funny that the guy is flying around and stuff, and the decision, mainly by Richard Donner, to say, no, we're not going to do goofy cameos, and we're not going to have it be slapstick, and we're not going to make a, like, a, and it's a Mad Mad World gag out of it. We're going to make a, a basically serious action-adventure movie where this guy can fly and show us a, a real then sci-fi, a then serious sci-fi version of Krypton and have, you know, real stakes with the bad guy plan. That movie could have gone so wrong, and instead it's like the template for every superhero movie that follows. Even the ones that are trying to do the opposite of it are still starting like from that point. Mm. It's it's the birth of everything. It had to be something to subvert. Um, and you can look at Superman 3 for what would have happened had Richard Donner not dug his heels in and, and <laughs> allowed the Sulkins to have their wacky way. I love that movie, though. Um, there's there's two major standout reasons why everyone took this film so seriously, and, and it also made their hearts sore. Um, John Williams' score is just just absolutely timeless, and uh, Christopher Reeve's performance. We believed in Superman because he completely and utterly seriously approached it that way. Without that, uh, this wouldn't have had the impact that it did. Yeah, and that that approach is, I mean. I completely agree with everything that's been said over the last couple of minutes. If you so in 1978, the for anyone who wasn't a comic book reader, their their idea of superheroes must have been Adam West Batman. Mm-hmm. And now I I love Adam West Batman, and um, I think you, if it had been a theatrical release thing, you you could have made arguments for that being important. But what Superman did was turned this campy. Uh, funny little show and just and yeah it took the opposite approach and said let's let's make this serious and let's make this full of emotion and let's not make this character something to laugh at mm. and yeah it, it, it nails that approach if i could add in i would also say margot kidder is very underrated in the first one i'm speaking strictly of the first one i don't mm-hmm. think past that but she's very underrated in that 
it took you having to believe that she was truly Lois Lane and mm. she would do all the things that she would do and, you know, obviously eventually fall in love with the person that is Superman and not know that he is Clark Kent at the same time. And I think that really stands out if you look to, I guess that was what, 2005, 2006 with Superman Returns. Yeah. Or is it Returns? Yeah. And I forget the actress's name. I just, I completely, I, I had no, th- um, not Boswell. once that I believe she was Lois Lane. Yeah. 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 Not once that yeah. I believe she was Lois Lane at all. You know, and I think that. What about Amy Adams? I was just going to say, I think <laughs> Terry Hatch is still o- number two for me. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> I think Amy Adams did okay with with the direction that they're going with with the Superman now, but she's going to have to play a more pivotal role in Batman Superman. I mean, if if anything, she's going to have to be the thing that grounds Superman so that he doesn't go over the edge. Because that's what Batman is going to do in this movie, I would assume. He's going to push him to his limit. Would it be fair to say, speaking of John Williams's score, that part of the reason that Superman um, did as well as it could and didn't swing the other way in terms of reception was because dealing to a post-Star Wars audience, people were looking for something that was fantastical and adventurous that they could take seriously? Mm. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, Superman started production before Star Wars and uh, came out, you know, fairly briefly after it. But I don't think the audience would. I think Star Wars sort of primed the audience for that in a way. It's, it was probably um, a, the lucky one of the luckiest things that happened to that movie. Yeah. It's uh, it's we, we forget just how big of a change Star Wars was to mainstream science fiction. I don't. <laughs> I have dreams about that. Um, the the there are well, but the other three major things about this is the, the first superhero blockbuster, without a doubt, like yeah. blockbuster in, in the yeah. since uh, Jaws and Star Wars were like laying the groundwork for what a blockbuster would be. Superman then followed suit. Uh, also, him being the first twentieth century superhero to really like make people go right that is a superhero. There were definitely dudes with capes before him, but he was the guy that everyone went, right, that's the guy from whom all of the superheroes stem. Which, if he'd been the defining one in comic books, it kind of makes sense that he would be the one, the defining one in movies as well. Absolutely, it's very appropriate. So he's the uh, first and most archetypal superhero. Okay, so let's go on to our number two film. Um, Does anyone have anything between 78 and 89? So Superman 4, anyone? No. (laughs) Superman 3, Bob? Yeah, I wouldn't put Superman 3 on my list because it has a huge Richard Pryor-shaped problem in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if, if you can just look around the Richard Pryor aspects of that movie, which is possible, it's really like the perfect Silver Age Superman movie. I mean, the villain has a crazy wacky plan. There's a big computer that turns people into robots. He does all kinds of Superman stuff in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he picks up a glacier and throws it into a lake and he crushes the coal into the diamond for the guy and he uh, blows the oil back into the thing. I mean, it's nuts, but it's probably like the most authentic comic book style Superman movie that's been made still, except for needing to insert a comedian into it and then tell him not to do the kind of comedy that he's good at. Yeah. It's 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 problematic, but there's parts of that movie that really rock. So I'm got- inclined to agree. It was my favorite Superman movie for a long time. <laughs> anyone got anything before 1989? Or okay, just, who's got Batman? Yeah, I think we yes. all do. <laughs> 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 Not. 
Okay, right. So that's it. is that five votes for Batman? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Another another one that when I uh, quiz my pals, unanimous. Straight away. Reasons. Well, if Superman set the paradigm, Batman expanded up upon it. Mm-hmm. it um, and and it's important that by this point, super, the, the Superman franchise had petered out, um, and uh, you know that that could have killed the genre. I think the I think the only like major comic book adaptation release in between those two movies is Howard the Duck, and that certainly didn't um, have the impact that either of these two films we're talking about did. Um, yeah, and yeah, it, it. I think. I think as well as expanding that paradigm, it 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 took some of the campness of the '60s Batman. It took some of the comic book sensibilities. Where I think you can look at Superman, and it, it doesn't. Although it has this character in the middle of it, it doesn't feel too comic booky. It, it's using it's using the comic book stuff, but turning it into a a kind of a, a more mainstream. Uh, blockbuster movie and batman batman has all of that stuff in there it has it has lots of the camp of the of the early batman but it also has some of the grittiness of the late 80s batman comics and tim burton kind of made uh, like a kind of an an auteur film in a way for him but also a, a film that was hugely successful and kind of true to batman kind of changed batman in the as we discovered on our podcast changed batman in the comics Mm. the impact that the film had and it also just with the merchandising and the advertising and everything around it it completely changed what the commercial possibilities were for films in that genre yeah it was the the cases of people going and paying 20 dollars for the the videotape of the trailer at conventions and like people ripping the posters out of uh bus stations and just like the the bat fever that gripped the nation at that point it's just it's just baffling to me like i was was, we've been watching loads of sort of making of stuff and sort of focusing on the trying to bring it to the screen stuff all weekend and um they actually shipped around batman in like 79, a year after Superman, and studios were like, ah, nah, we don't want no Batman. Superman's just made, like, hang on, let me just check, $300 million cost mm. $55 million. Who's going no to Batman at that point? People were totally... Executives. Ready. Yeah. Crazy it's, executives. I mean, that wouldn't happen now. If you have one big success now, you I mean, yeah. we're, see, we're seeing it right now with shared universes. Replicate People it as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. But why do Batman when you can do the black hole? <laughs> <laughs> so this was the first proper Batman blockbuster. It was also the first offbeat director choice. Tim Burton here. So they, that's specifically enough to make people go, the Beetlejuice guy? It was also the first major, major, major event movie in superhero comics since Superman. Uh, Jack Nicholson, huge casting coup there. I mean, that wasn't uh, the first time that had happened. Obviously, the uh, if you remember that the first Superman came out, there were big posters of Marlon Brando and a mustachioed Gene Hackman before that even really casts Christopher Reeve. Um, but the Jack Nicholson thing was a huge deal, uh, and that kind of that sold the movie. He was, um, I would say, he's the first villain who was bigger than the the hero. But you could technically say Hackman there again. I think Gene Hackman is a bigger actor, but he's not a bigger star than Superman. Mm, mm. Maybe he's a bigger star than Christopher Reeve, certainly. But once you have a guy in the Superman costume, he's Superman. That's very true. Yeah, people, kids aren't going there because, like, have you heard Lex Luthor's in this? No, they're going there like for, to Batman because Joker's in this, and Joker scares the shit out of everybody and fascinates them. Mm. 
Yeah, I, I would agree because I think that's what Jack Nicholson brought to the role is I actually feared the Joker in that movie. He wasn't just a, a cartoon character or a clown. He he was menacing. You you thought the Joker would kill everybody if you give him the, gave him the chance. So mm-hmm. that that's where I thought it succeeded the most to me. And believe it or not, I almost felt Batman was the secondary character in that movie, even <laughs> though he was the title character. Yeah. I mean, I still think that watching oh. it to this day. Right. We we've yeah. one of the few movies we've already covered on cinematic universe is Batman, mm. and um, when you go back and really examine it, it is a Joker origin movie. We don't see how Batman got his powers. We get a brief like two minute flashback about two thirds of the way through the film tying the Joker's origin into Batman's origin. But really, we watch the Joker, you know, go from Jack Napier to the Joker and the movie follows him. We don't see Bruce Wayne on screen for 20 minutes. It's, it is a Jack Nicholson is the star of that movie. And I think, I think that's why a lot of people prefer Batman returns because it feels like a more even film and it feels like yeah. Keaton really gets to come into his own in that film. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and in terms of, in terms of casting stars like Nicholson, that's something that the genre is still doing. Um, Pac-Man Nicholson, you're still seeing kind of even like, you know, a film like Captain America, the Winter Soldier, which you'd think is a, mm. you know, a film that would have no problem. They're still casting people like Robert Redford to try and give them that little bit of yeah. uh, credibility. credibility and yeah. legitimacy for in, in the terms of, I guess, kind of uh, people who might normally think, nah, superhero movies aren't for me. Oh, but wait, Robert Redford plays a part. Oh, hey, look, there's Jack, there's Jack Nicholson. That movie, maybe that movie is going to be good. Maybe it's not as camp as it looks. Imagine if at the end of Batman, uh, after he'd yanked him down off the helicopter, Bats had then fired another grapnel and s- just caught him on the leg and saved his ass and then shipped him off to Arkham. What a different film that would have been. Yeah. It, it's what's interesting to me about the 89 Batman, and this is this is like where my favorites list and historically important list would diverge, mm-hmm. because you, you can't say that this movie was not historically important. Oh, yeah. And it has its good points, but like looked back on, you know, like like twenty twenty hindsight, I I find it to be the story is a mess. The main character doesn't really work. The love story isn't interesting. It pretty much has the girl Tim screams Burton's, all the time. Yeah, it has Tim Burton's visuals and the fact that we and the Joker and the fact that we've never seen Batman done exactly this way. Going for it, you know, it has this is a superhero movie like you've never. I mean, you've never seen a superhero movie, TV show, cartoon. If you are not a comic book reader and only know these characters by adaptation, mm. i.e. most of the audience, which is probably why the first one had to be Superman, because Superman was primarily a comic book character in the public mind for maybe two years and was then much, much bigger from the 30s on as a cartoon, film, serial, and TV character. Yeah. At least, oh, and radio character. The radio show was probably more popular than anything up until the movie, but that's another podcast, I assume. Um, when I look at the Tim Burton Batman, what's different about it than the uh, the Donner Superman movie is that it's very. The Donner Superman movie is inventing tropes and kind of creating a whole new genre out of pretty much whole cloth. Mm. The Tim Burton Batman movie, other than the visuals, is very much a super conventional '80s action movie. But with Batman, you have the colorful villain. You have the hero who has a dark past that we find out about later in the movie. You have the uh, the love interest who mostly screams. You have the big confrontation on the building where the bad guy gets dropped from a great height. It's 
if you go down the line, like, yes, Jack Nicholson in clown makeup was a new thing that you hadn't seen, but in narrative functionally, that character is not that much different than all of the other respected, good actors of a, of advancing age playing colorful villains that was in every Schwarzenegger, Bruce Willis, Stallone, Van Damme movie of that moment. This did, fortunately, however, despite the fact that it's actually not that fantastic to watch uh, to, by today's standards, especially that costume. Jesus. He's just like, nyak, 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 with his great big Sontarin head. Uh, and, um, <laughs> but the, <laughs> the animated series that's, that came from this that would never have been greenlit without a massive film behind it, um, that is a benchmark in animation. So thank God for this movie, um, oh, yeah. just for that. Um, well, and also, I think Batman Returns, which comes a couple of years later, is not it's not on my list, but it's uh, I still really enjoy that movie. No, it does. And I, I enjoy the world that Tim Burton established here as well. I think he he, he went on to kind of perfect what he wanted to do. <coughs> right now, this bit's going to be interesting. Any what? What's the next year everyone's got on their list? I have nineteen ninety nine. Okay, Joe. Uh, I have I have one year later, nineteen ninety. Okay, right. Let's hear nineteen ninety. Go for it. <laughs> so this is this is uh, a suggestion that came straight from uh, my colleague James, uh, and this is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, this this wouldn't have crossed this wouldn't have crossed my mind at all, but um, I'll I'll quote his email directly. Uh, he said this movie proved that quotes if a shitty Daredevil X Men parody could make it to the big screen, <laughs> so could so could any indie comic. And and the argument for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is that without that movie and without the success that that movie had, we we might never have seen films like. Um, Sin City, 300, Kick-Ass, Ghost World, um, and, and basically anything that's non-Marvel or DC, uh, because th- this is the film that proved to Hollywood and to movie studios that that you could you could go down that route. And the the other movie that almost took the spot was The Crow, which came in '94. Mm. And the the a similar argument there is that in that it did what Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles did, and they also kind of broadened the audience a little bit more so The Crow, but I mean. Certainly, that the fact that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles exists means that The Crow as a movie exists, and both of those films had, you know, three, four movie franchises, and both are being rebooted right now. That's compelling. I'm putting that on my maybes. Uh, you know, Ninja, I'm, I'm Ninja Turtles, not The Crow. Oh, Bob's convinced. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I well, I had this. If this had been an eight movie list, I would yeah. it would have been on mine, but I took it off because you can't not mention Iron Man and the Dark Knight. And like you know, there's like I thought that the 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 most important list had there. There's certain things that just kind of have to be on there, obviously. Mm. And this was the only one that I knocked off as a well, maybe. But no, you're right. I'm convinced this belongs on there, and I love this movie. Okay, that's yeah, I I, I agree because if this was a top ten list, uh, I I I had. I had two other movies in the 2000s that I'll hold off on, but also I had The Crow in in the 90s because I thought that was a compelling argument as well. But yeah, very, very good list. Could you transmute your vote for The Crow to a vote for Ninja Turtles? No, that was one I completely forgot about. And listening to him give his argument, I kind of agree with it. I might put it at 11 or 12. 
So that's sure. two halves. Okay. So you, you've got two and two halves right now for Ninja Turtles. We shall come back to that then. I think I might knock Avengers off later on in terms of importance and add Ninja Turtles because the importance of Avengers is also the importance of Iron Man, which is also on my list. Okay. Right. Well, we shall get to that in due time. Yeah. Okay. So you got a 99. I'm fairly certain I know which one it is. Um, Harris, what's yours? Yeah, it's The Matrix. Aha! Just for for the fact that it 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 brought it, it was an original story. Hey, wink, wink. It was an original story that. <laughs> That, you know, it, it we didn't have any known characters. It had no ties to comics, television show, anything. So this was completely brand new. It also brought sci-fi into the superhero genre, I felt. And in, in my personal opinion, it's one of the best origin stories you'll ever see. You know, it because when we get to the end, Neo is a superhero. He can do anything he wants. He is the hero that the humans need to to save the day. Now, what happened in the sequels is a completely different story. But I think if you look at the Matrix standalone for what it was, it yeah, it's definitely in my top seven superhero movies. I love the idea of the Matrix as a superhero. For, for me, also on a technical scale, the Matrix uh, was the film that laid it down. Look, this is what we can now do with effects. Yes. We can totally do superheroes. And at the very end when he just flies up and it's like, guys, superheroes just can. Worms everywhere. Uh, it's totally a superhero movie. And that's what was symbolic about it. Because mm. Neo could now do anything in that world. What did he choose to do? He chose to be Superman. He yeah. wanted to fly. He, he flow, flew you know, up to the sky into the camera to end the movie. And, and again, just, just on, on a, a deeper level, they're basically telling a Jesus story. I mean, Neo is Jesus. Yeah, at absolutely. the end, he you know he right he resurrects and you know he's there to be the savior for everyone. So he's also Superman as a result because Superman is right. also Jesus. So uh, right. th- anyone else want to throw in with the Matrix because that's a, that's going to get a I'm I'm putting that on my list of possibles too. I, I mean, think I, I'm going to switch that out for my number three because oh. a lot of the reasons that my number three is my number three, the Matrix did first and possibly some might argue better. Uh, Bob, your thoughts on Matrix? I salute putting the Matrix uh, on a list. I would disagree that it is a superhero movie, but I, I salute the, uh, the the creativity and thinking outside the box that does it. And, and, I'm, and I'm not, like, I have an argument for it, but it's, I, I, I think the idea of it being on there, I think is really cool. Okay. It wouldn't be on mine because I don't think it's in the genre, but I, I salute it being on there. Yeah, that, that's kind of where I stand as well. I, I really, I hadn't even considered it, but I just mentally can't make the disconnection. We were talking at the start about that kind of like, kind of indefinable thing. Um, I just, yeah, I just never thought of The Matrix as a superhero movie. So The and Matrix I think, is the superheroes. He, here's so the argument. Not superheroes, but the Ninja Turtles are? Um, well, I, well yeah, I, think, I think I think it comes down to those those things that I said at the start that I kind of felt that you know source material costumes and superpowers um, and 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 ticking those boxes and I think the Matrix kind of ticks one and a half and it's so close I kind of I I, I completely understand the argument for it on the list the idea that the, I just the I just mentally can't make someone that, that can do something that no, that no one else can the turtles are ninjas and they fight ninjas every day. <laughs> no, but, but they, 
Sure. But they do they do their own turtle kind of ninjutsu that others can't do. I mean, they <laughs> they pull that they have shells. shells. They can they can survive in different environments. Yeah. Also, yeah. True, they can pop their heads in their shells and go. God, yeah. being a turtle. Uh, yeah, I would right. say they are they are definitely superheroes because they choose to be super. They choose right. to distinguish themselves so from people around them. But exactly, that's what I was about to say. Within his world, it's. I think there's a bit of a disconnect because the world of the Matrix is already so different from our world. But Neo chooses to distinguish himself from the people who are around him. So he is a superhero in his world, absolutely, I would say. But if you had a Western, say, a completely normal Western film where just happens to have someone with superpowers, just like a Superman turns up in this Western, would it be a superhero film? Or because of its Western setting, would it not be? Uh, I, I think it would depend on how on where that character was. Like a Western where people had superpowers one way or another. I've seen, I think it was Blueberry had something like that going on. Or I think it was, I don't know what they released that as. In I gotta see Blueberry. But it was, but it was French. And uh, it's nowhere near as good as I'm making it sound. Oh, but it has, it has an interesting <laughs> cast. Um, it, my argument against The Matrix as a superhero movie would be that <laughs> I think that what The Matrix does that made it such a unique thing at the time is that it's a movie about stirring in all of these different pop culture references and genres into an entirely new thing Hmm. that it was in and of itself. And it has elements of a superhero story that are very deliberately brought in. You know, there's very deliberate references to Superman. I mean, they do pick up phones and go into phone booths to change. It's not a subtle reference. Mm. Um, You know, there's the flying, but it's also making deliberate open reference to specific martial arts films, to anime, to other science fiction films, Mm -hmm. and mixing them together (laughs) to make this whole thing. So it's a movie that has, it references superhero movies, I don't think it is one in and out. I think it's a a science fiction film of its own bigger genre that references superhero movies. I I would liken it to like a movie where, like a modern film where a character wears a cowboy hat because he likes westerns doesn't necessarily make that movie a western. But uh, but it's a movie that references Westerns or when people call like Dirty Harry when they say, oh, this is a Western but set in modern times. That's true. It's taking the tropes of a high noon John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, Dollars Trilogy type Western movie and transplanting it into a cop movie. But that doesn't make Dirty Harry a Western. It makes it a cop movie. I think I'm leaning too much on the whole Western thing. I keep going straight there and going, well, what about if everyone wore cowboy hats? Would that make it different? But well, uh, would, definitely- in, in, in defense, in one def- and I do not disagree with anything you just said. I, I think that was pretty spot on. But, but the one thing that I, I would say in defense of The Matrix and that I, I would still lean towards it being a superhero film is – Take away the sequels. I think the sequels and everything Take that they've the sequel, done, no, you, you, you kind of have to. Because, it, because I think having the sequels and everything that they've done since to try and explain that world has clouded what that original movie was trying to tell, in my like, opinion. Like I said, the final shot is him flying into the sky like Superman. And if it ended right there and we never and, and was basically left up to our imaginations on what happened – Neo's God. He's Jesus. He's he's the hero that the humans needed to liberate themselves from the machines. I, to me, that is the ultimate definition of a superhero. It's Bioshock Infinite. At the end of Bioshock Infinite, infinite possibilities. The end of Bioshock Infinite, Barry, let's see, one possibility. 
I think what this, I think almost that what we need to define here is not whether The Matrix is a superhero movie or not, but what makes them important. So if we're talking about the most important superhero movies, what are they important to? Because I think The Matrix is more important to the next 10 years of action cinema and mm. blockbuster cinema, but maybe not mm. perhaps superhero cinema. I think The Matrix had more of an effect, point. more of an effect on your kind of, um, you know, your kind of standard Hollywood blockbuster action movie than it did on the next superhero movie. So, for example, Mission Impossible 2. Well, we've got to have a big martial arts fight on the beach in slow motion <laughs> with lots of kicks. Right. Yeah, and the introduction of bullet time and stuff. That's not something that and I everyone really wearing black. Yeah, that's not something that's I really a big impact on my next one, though. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and that's I, why I, I'm agreeing I, to switch it out. <laughs> I, I'm going to put tentatively down for the Matrix as well. I'm really liking that as a possibility. And I, I'm, I'm really sorry to do this to you, but I did have um, another movie in between 99 and ah, 90. That's that quite all right. That's quite sorry. Go for it. I just didn't want to. I didn't want to derail the Matrix. Hang on a second. So you've got Ninja Turtles and the Crow and the Matrix. Hang on. Well, no, I don't Matrix. have the Crow. I had. I had the Crow as. As a the movie for I the same reason as the hotels. Yeah. Okay, what was your um, other one? Well, I'm, um, I'm expecting this to be really controversial because, again, I've approached it from a from a kind of what was important. It, well, okay. what, what, what was important for the superhero genre going forward? Right. Um, and I went for Batman and Robin uh, in 1997. Okay. Yeah, for how not to do a superhero movie because it was you could you could make this you could have made this argument for Superman four, but I think it's I think it's more they didn't learn their lesson. I, well, I think it's more relevant for Batman and Robin because that that is more. If if you say to anyone now, what is the worst? I mean, this comes up in the list of worst studio movies ever, worst movies ever. But in in terms of what's the worst superhero movie ever, most people will say it's Batman and Robin. And I think when you when you hear filmmakers now talking about what they don't want to do with their superhero movie, they reference Batman and Robin. The nipples on the batsuit are still a joke, and it's. It's a kind of like a, a cautionary tale of what goes wrong when you try and commercialize a product too far. Like and when they, Well, and when and when they try to um, commercialize it actually within the realms of the movie, I think it's fine. You know, right now we've got Avengers Age of Ultron merchandise everywhere. But Batman had Batman using a Batman credit card in Batman and Robin. Um, and I think, I think Batman and Robin kind of was like, a, it's a line in the sand that is still looked at as how silly is too silly and how far is too far and when to let the serious side and the comic side how, how to strike their balance and almost everything about Batman and Robin you don't have superheroes dropping puns anymore and quips it's gone that and I think Batman and Robin is it's hugely important to what to what hasn't happened since yeah it's the pendulum swing opposing the dark knight it's like at the opposite end of the scale this is how fucked it got 
I don't think I don't I think if Batman had stopped after Batman Returns, for example, or mm-hmm. even Batman Forever, I don't think Christopher Nolan's Batman movies would have happened or certainly wouldn't have happened like they happened. In the same way, no. yeah. Might have been a slight a gentler pendulum swing, slightly more maybe a little bit more fun. Okay, compelling argument. Thank you. I I, I think I think that's a great argument. That's great. It's a, I, I would argue that um, piggybacking on that, that Batman and Robin, that the the negative reception to it, the the overblown negative reception, and some of the specific ways that it was received negatively, and reasons that it was received negatively, are responsible for a lot of what's wrong with the genre right now. Mm, as in, like they're so, trying so hard to make things, especially DC, not fun and not camp, that they oh, yeah, I, decide like, no jokes. That's a good policy. Like Batman and Robin, I will agree, is not a good film. I don't even think it's bad enough to be called a bad film. I've seen bad films. The Stallone Judge Dredd is a bad superhero movie. (laughs) Batman and Robin is pretty average as not great 1990s action movies go. But because it's Batman and there's this whole because of the Burton movies and because of fucking Frank Miller and because of the killing joke, which not even Alan Moore still thinks is that good, uh, has you know all of this baggage built into it that Batman is the the serious, meaningful, dark, brooding hero and that Batman and Robin was perceived as committing heresy by having them tell jokes and have more than one primary color on screen and basically looking like what the majority of Batman comics had been and looked like at that time. It's been it's been 20 years now, so it's different. But at the time Batman and Robin came out, the serious, grim, dark, nasty Batman was pretty much limited to you know, the eight, the mid 1980s onwards before that Batman is just as jokey and fun and wacky as any other DC hero with just a little more angst and a couple more, you know, straight up serial killers in his rogues gallery. Mm. And then Batman and Robin comes out and not only are people hating on the colors, but hating on Joel Schumacher specifically for injecting what you can only call, you know, homoerotic references into a superhero movie. God fucking forbid. (laughs) Joel gets yeah. so much shit for that. Like the, everyone's like, Joel fucking Schumacher. That was so much pressure on that poor guy. And we said this in our review. Yeah. And you look at this and you look at how much it's come back. Like the reaction to that has been that the X-Men show up dressed like scuba divers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and no one is allowed to have fun. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just, uh, and the the latent blatant really homophobia behind so much of the backlash on that movie in general it really did kind of turn the genre into the angsty teenage boy thing right down to not just oh that's lame but oh man that's gay we don't want these movies to be gay this movie's so gay so it brought out the worst in absolutely everybody yeah, you know what was, I, I, this gets my vote it wasn't on my list I'm, I'm sticking my vote firmly on that one well done Joe and well done Uh, Bob is this on your list as well Uh, no it wasn't and now I feel bad about that yeah because I mean you made it like an even more compelling argument (laughs) yeah jeez okay right Um, you Bob I believe had a 99 one still um, I had, uh, and I'd have to look at my dates because I think of these as but I think X-Men was 99 correct so yeah yeah um I went back and forth because, like, Spider-Man, X-Men, and Blade are sort of, like, kind of feel like one thing to me because mm-hmm. it happened in succession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 99. But, uh, uh, Blade was 98, X-Men 2000, Spider-Man 2002. But it felt like a boom, 
really short amount of time. Yeah, but uh, I I went straight from Batman '89 to uh, to X Men. Yeah, so did I in my original list. Uh, I mean, what reasons? Anybody for X Men 2000, directed by Brian Singer. I mean, I had this on my list as well, um, uh, and I mean the fact that it was it was seen as such a risk at the time because your two major superhero, you know, franchises were Superman and Batman, and both had, you know, crashed to a halt. In you know, audiences had by the end of those franchises rejected both of them. Mm-hmm. So it's a risky pitch, um, and I agree. Now I think we we can look back at X Men and. The costumes are boring. Oh, and there it's are, very average as a superhero film. Yeah, there are, there are there are things that there are things that hold it back. It's two thirds of a movie as well. There's the, it just sort of ends like just when it's starting to gear up. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting though in terms of in terms of the tone that it pitched mm. in 2000. I think that it's it is the movie that facilitated the superhero bubble that followed. But you know, Blade predates it, but Blade didn't. I, I don't think Blade had the impact that X Men did. Yeah, um, basically being an R, Blade hit the adults, and, and there's yes, sort of the yeah. sort of rave culture attached to it, and it became superheroes are cool with adults. But then the Matrix also did that. Mm. Although X Men doesn't happen without Blade. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Hollywood business terms. Blade was a hit, and then they said, well, the PG-13 version of that will make even more money. So they made X-Men. Exactly. Hey, they were right. <laughs> um, also, it's, the, it's the, one of the first films that really attempted to make superpowers real, uh, as in they were, I mean, even uh, more so than Superman, they were trying uh, a completely real world where all of these people were developing superpowers and they were dealing with it uh, in Congress. And it, it actually, you know, while they were serious about it in Superman, they're really serious about it here. That's what I was going to go and say. See, it's set in a world that's very much like ours, and Tim, the the Batman movies very much are not that. Oh, not and that yeah, stylized, yeah. You've you've got you have this time where it's it's committed to its comic book ideas and the ideas of mutation, but it also has a story that it is interested in telling on its own. And I think that's what a lot of the superhero movies that we've got now are doing. They are. They are throwing in as many of the of it of the ideas from their source material as they can, but they're using them to develop a story that they have themselves. And Brian Singer had a very specific story he wanted to tell in X Men, and I think that's very interesting actually. That uh, we're talking about the the kind of the negative things that Batman and Robin yeah. fostered were actually yeah. addressed head on in X Men, which is a film that mm. might have kind of changed because of it. It starts um, off in a concentration camp. It doesn't get much more sober than that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's 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 pretty pretty much a big old metaphor of a movie, and I think the the kind of the next wave of superhero movies, mm. probably between two thousand two thousand and five, all kind of fit in a, a a similar place to X Men. They they were doing a a very similar kind of thing, um, 
and I, I, I do wonder if, if X Men had bombed that. That could have been. Yeah. That could have been basically it because Blade was a hit, but Blade was a hit as you're right. You're right in saying on an R-rated level, it was a qualified hit. X Men, X Men made this genre something that could be something dominant for the next five years and well five years at least and then there was another couple of movies that had to come along to make sure that was sustained mm, but x-men was yeah. the movie that did it after the failures of superman and batman um i think one of the reasons that i i had it on my list this was my number three that i think after paris's argument i'm inclined to switch out for the matrix um but it, for, on a personal level, because I was much more familiar with the X-Men comics than I was with Superman or Batman or, you know, any of the other comic book based movies that had come before, I was actually in a position to be able to watch it and go, well, yeah, they've taken that straight from the comics and that's kind of from it, but they've tweaked that a little bit. And I could see where they'd followed the outlines of, of where the comics had gone. And I think... Yeah. You could argue that the X-Men was one of the first ones that had a um, a standpoint of following the comics, not rigidly closely, but more closely than had been done before um, yeah. in terms of actual storylines and character um, uh, character development. And because they were working with such a big ensemble piece as well, it would have been a lot more difficult for them to throw the baby out with the bathwater and just start from scratch and say, right, we have a group of mutants. What are we going to do with them? Whereas with Superman or Batman, you can go, right, we know who this character is, but we can pretty much chuck everything else out and just yeah. do our yeah. own story. They recast Batman twice mm. in, in what, I mean, a, it, an eight-year time period. That's ridiculous. X-Men is a it's it's a film series that has become increasingly complicated and its continuity isn't great but you could argue that this is the first movie to kick off a properly uh a proper shared universe in the Yeah no we, yeah and they've they've committed to this I mean the co- the continuity like I said is a mess in this franchise but we're sat here 15 years later and last year we had a movie with Patrick Stewart Ian McKellen and Hugh Jackman all playing the same roles and ne- yeah. next year we're going to have two spin-offs to movies from that franchise um it's the earliest one that's had sticking power as well I I I this is one of those, another one that is not a movie that I even like that much, but that I couldn't imagine not having on the list because the historical importance can't be overstated. Yeah. Not, not just yeah. that it's the movie that pretty much created the Marvel wave, which then Spider-Man took and cemented. Because I don't think if yeah. Spider-Man hits like it did after X-Men, I think it stops with X-Men because the X-Men are so much their own thing. Mm. But I think that also what's really super important about the X-Men movies and just to put it on the table, the first movie just isn't good. It's average. It's got great, uh, you know, casting in Hugh Jackman and Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart and a couple other people who are also there and not doing much, but they are there. Um, the second one, I'm sorry, is not as good as, as, as you remember, watch it again. It's just as boring as the first one. It's just got a story that's closer to the comics and teases a really great third movie that doesn't happen. The third one sucks. First class is amazing. And, uh, the most recent <laughs> one is meh. Oh, but, and, uh, also in X-Men two, uh, uh, as per our review, Magneto becomes like Mecha Hitler times 10. He yeah. decides let's just wipe out everyone in the world. Who's not a mutant. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. This is a really great shades of gray character you created. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite a thing, but what is interesting about X-Men is it's really, if you look at it, that is the first 
comic book based superhero movie to do anything at the box office with characters who were created after the 1930s. Yeah. Superman and Batman are both pre-World War II characters. And I think that this is part of the problem of why superheroes didn't hit big after those other movies is that Batman and Superman are so largely seen as characters beyond just being comic characters. They're also part of the pulp genre and they're also part of the serial genre and the early TV genre and movies and radio shows and whatnot. When Batman first hit and was a big deal, they did not immediately greenlight a new Superman, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, Spider-Man, like relevant superheroes because the executives still looked at them and said, well, those are just comic books. There's a ceiling. So instead they greenlit what from the pulp and serial genre had also worked like Batman. And we got the Phantom and the Shadow and Dick Tracy and all of these characters that were super relevant if you were in your 60s at the time. (laughs) But like, you know, young kids who are the, should be the target audience for this are looking at going who the fuck is dick tracy and why do i care yeah you know what is the shadow what the fuck is that and uh and that's what happened but then x-men comes out and now you finally got the 60s 70s 80s 90s era characters getting their due and realizing that hey there's this whole huge genre that we really haven't tapped because they didn't see superman and batman primarily as comic book characters so yeah, it's the first uh, Marvel family blockbuster, which is, uh, as, as you said, you know, with Spider-Man picking that one up, that it, that's a huge, huge deal. <laughs> I'd, I'd also not realized that you're right with the whole spin-offs thing. I, I didn't get the timing on these before, but it goes Deadpool, then X-Men Apocalypse, then Gambit in October. So it's yeah. like May and then, uh, sorry, hang on, February, May, and then October Gambit, all in 2016. That's a lot of X. <laughs> No, sorry, I was just saying they are very definitely setting their stall out. That, hey, we're doing what Marvel's doing now. Yeah. And Um, they're doing it with Gambit. (laughs) (laughs) And a bad Gambit at that. No, no, it's 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 um it's good Gambit. It's uh we hope. It's 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 gonna be Channing Tatum. Yeah, Channing Tatum. Not not you know, Taylor Kitsch will not be allowed to buy a ticket for this movie. <laughs> we did uh, we did X-Men Origins Wolverine on our last episode, yeah. and it is stunning to think that that movie essentially has two spin-offs coming out next year on the strength of two characters who they could not have mishandled any any worse. It was <laughs> I, astounding. I think, got, I think they got Gambit pretty right. He's exactly as useless in that movie as he is in everything else. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Oh, uh, I, I'm sure there is a Blob versus Juggernaut comic, by the way. I was listening to that earlier today. Uh, oh, yeah. It must have happened. Yeah. I'll, I'll see if I can find it, it while we're doing this. Uh, right, okay, so uh, how many votes for X-Men then? I mean, Paris, you've been very quiet here. Well, <laughs> it's it's funny because I didn't have the first X-Men. I had X-Men 2. Oh, but right? a, a, after the, the comments I just heard, it kind of hurt my feelings a little bit. I don't know if I want to say anything. <laughs> no, j- just kidding. But um, I, I had X-Men 2 because... I mean, it's still I way felt, better than the first one, but yeah. Yeah, because I felt it improved because I didn't like the first one. And, and I do get what he means about the second one being more of just the same, but kind of a better story and more to the comics. But I think that's what worked about it. And I think it was the first modern era superhero movie to have a successful sequel that was better yeah. than the first one. I, and I thought that set the table for then what we would see with Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2, etc. Which is the direction you want to go. You want your sequel right. to be better. And that's, that's uh, something that should be encouraged. Um, also, first Stan Lee cameo. 
Oh, I didn't, I forgot about that. You're yeah. right. And even better, first associate producer, one Mr. Kevin Feige. Mm-hmm. He cut his teeth on this one. Yep. So, I mean, yeah, how many, how many votes for X-Men? I, th- I think I'm going to go ahead and vote for that one myself. Anybody else? Oh, Sharon, are you still in? I, mm, Matrix? See, I'm, I'm still kind of thinking no Matrix, no X-Men, because the aesthetic was so similar. Mm. But that's um, a design aesthetic. Like, X-Men was going to happen. I think that's a happy accident, almost that the, the, yeah. the design aesthetic. It was kind of it was very much of that time, and I think X Men happened to have that design, mm. you know, all the leather, just because they were terrified of having Batman and Robin costumes. <laughs> Fair point. I think I will keep them both on for now and see okay. if there's a later one that I can drop. Right. So it's A S Joe. Yeah, I'm on board for X Men. That's on my list. Paris. Um, I would say no to the first one. I'm still going to stick with two. Really? Okay, so X-Men to Paris. Uh, Bob, on X-Men 1? Uh, yeah, it belongs there. I don't I don't love it, but it belongs there. Okay, that's four for X-Men 1. Um, right, so actually, do you want to, because we're on the subject of this one, Paris, do you want to add anything to the X-Men 2 argument? Is, is there anything on top of that? Well, I, I would just say again, I felt it... Did better than the first one of showing the the ensemble cast. Ensemble, mm. I can't say it right, but the ensemble cast. Whereas you know we take it forward, you then saw it being perfected in the Avengers, and you obviously were coming up here with Ultron. And I would even say, and this isn't a superhero movie, so to speak, but I would say Serenity as mm. well. Mm. You know, would be something to show. You can have you know five, six, seven main quote unquote characters, and all give them justice in one two hour movie. Yeah. I thought that was the first one to do it was X-Men 2 because I really didn't think it was X-Men 1. Okay. So, next question then. Has anybody not got Spider-Man? I do, and I'm now wondering. That, I mean, the reasons I have for it, I'm now wondering whether that's like one, that's. It's the one. It's the one spot on my list that I kind of had. Yeah, this is a film that I acknowledge does a lot of what X Men did, or you know, it carries on with that good work. No. Um, and I think if you if you have to include one of the two of X Men and Spider Man, it has to be X Men. Having said that, I love Spider Man, and on a personal level, for me, it's really important. But I know that's not something that is particularly relevant to this list we're compiling. Bob. I, uh, I think that this is another one that I don't think I could have the list without. I, I think that this the, the importance of this one I don't think can be overstated because I think if X-Men had come out and been a hit, it would have, uh, and then everything else afterwards hadn't worked, specifically if Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2 hadn't worked, mm-hmm. then it would have been, well, okay, the X-Men work because they are very much their own thing. They're not as penetrative into the popular culture as, like, Batman is, mm-hmm. but especially the first one where it doesn't have any Marvel Universe connections, they're not wearing their proper costumes. 
the X and really the costumes are the only thing that make the X-Men superheroes. Otherwise, it's a science fiction film about a paramilitary team of differently abled humans. <laughs> That's I was going to query about superheroes because I mean the X-Men. Eh. Well, they, they are because it's sort of like I didn't get to say this during the Matrix, but if the Matrix had been based on a comic book, then everyone would universally call that a superhero movie. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. As opposed to just inspired by a lot of comic books. Right, right. Um, but when it comes to the first Spider-Man, I mean, I, I, I almost feel like I have to recuse myself because I love the, the first two Spider-Man movies so much. Mm -hmm. Because I think that they're both near-perfect movies. They have issues, but in terms of, like, filmmaking stuff, are just so solid and work so well. Um, I, I don't know that I can properly convey how incredible it was to hear that they were going to make a Spider-Man movie and being worried, oh my God, they're going to fuck it up. He's going to wear all black. This is going to be stupid. They had like, it was either going to be Chris Columbus or David Fincher directing it. Jesus. Both of whom are, are completely wrong for this project for two completely different reasons, despite being good filmmakers. And then hearing the news, being a high school aged movie geek, working in a fucking blockbuster video at the time, hearing too. that not, not only are they <laughs> going to make this but that sam raimi was going to do it like the evil dead guy this mm -hmm. you know cult film icon who had never really been given a, a full bore hollywood blockbuster was going to make like my favorite director is going to make my favorite superhero movie holy fuck and it, and the first shot of him in the costume and it looks just <laughs> like it's supposed to and they cast someone who looks like peter parker and it was it was so thrilling to go through that and have that happen. I don't know if I can properly judge them. But if I had to say what's important about the first Spider-Man other than proving that the flagship Marvel character can carry a movie and, and thus birthing, probably like cementing in place the, the full Marvel universe that, that this is a thing that can happen. I don't think – I think if X-Men happens and Spider-Man doesn't, there is no Iron Man, there is no Hulk, there is no anything else. But what really stands out to me as important about Spider-Man is what is the iconic image from the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies? It's Spider-Man's mask uh, and like just like being shot very, very close up. That kind of um, – I was thinking about this. The uh, You could show the Batman logo. You could show the Superman logo. But you wouldn't show the Spider-Man logo on his chest. It's his face. Mm. That – I mean is that what you were getting at? Uh, no, but that's a good. That's a good. That that's an, an image. I, I I should have said iconic shot. Like what is? Oh, I see. Thing? Just the, like the swinging through the city, or just the thing that he can do, which no one else does. For uh, me, it's no, the upside down kiss. Isn't it kissing kissing Mary Jane or not? Yeah, yeah. Jane, I think but, yeah. I think it's the yeah. upside down kiss. That's what it's for me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Is 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 the thing that that really kind of, like I mean that was in every trailer. It mm, was mm. the screen grab and the idea that you have a soup. This is probably the first time that like the thing. That was like held up as the like in in Chris Reeve's Superman, the iconic image is boom, he's flying up over the city. You know, Batman, the iconic thing is I'm Batman. You know, like that was the thing that was in every trailer. The main big takeaway image with the first Spider-Man was upside down, kiss in the rain. This is a romance on top of being a superhero movie. Yeah. And in that respect, it's probably the first time that they even made a slight inroad towards selling these movies to something other than little boys who wanted to see stuff blow up. Mm. I'd say there's something massively important about Spider-Man as well, which has nothing to do with how it was made, although that was great. And um, it's to do with timing. 
um, in that it was the first post 9-11 and it made New York look awesome and it made it it kind of I think there was a capture of right we really want this superhero right now we want him to be a New York superhero we needed uh, we needed Spider-Man at that exact point yeah well, that's part, uh, partly good luck and timing because, you know, the, there's, there is that first poster of Spider-Man with the Twin Towers yeah. in the background. There was yeah. a uh, the, the, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think, I think if, if we were talking about Spider-Man being released in 2000 and X-Men being released in 2002, this wouldn't be a question. We'd be saying, oh, well, it's Spider-Man and X-Men, you know, it came along, it kind of was another successful movie. But uh, the thing that makes this choice difficult is X-Men coming before. Because for me, Spider-Man is a better film. It has a better sequel. Uh, it was more important for me. It was one of the, it was the first superhero movie that I saw kind of new in cinemas. And I remember seeing the trailers and being excited. And I, I'm not a comic book guy. I'm, I'm starting to get into them through, through this podcast. I'm a, I'm a movie guy. And Spider-Man was one of the first blockbuster movies that I, as a kid, fell in love with. And uh, it was one of the first movies that I went, uh, I'm showing my age here, went to the cinema without my parents to see. Um, nice. And I was, it was it was really important to me. Now, the reason I'm not sure the movie is a dead certain for the list is because is because X-Men comes two years earlier. I think if it was the other way around, we, we wouldn't even be discussing it. I'm going to argue with pure numbers on this one as well. X-Men, cost 75 million, made 296 million. That is a mid-range, okay performance for a blockbuster. That's people go and see it and go, well, that's not too bad. Spider-Man, 140 million. This is how badly people wanted Spider-Man. They wanted Spider-Man then. They wanted Spider-Man in droves, and they went back and saw him again. $821 million. That told people in no uncertain terms, superheroes equals blockbusters. Mm. And the origin story, as Bob said, that became the template for from then on, it is you tell mm. how this person came to be. Because in Batman, it's not important. In X-Men even, like you get, it's Rogue's origin sort of. She kisses a guy and then she goes, Aah! and that's the origin of Rogue. And yeah. this, the whole first act was framed around how did he get those tights? And, mm. and, and that we're going to be feeling that impact and the $821 million impact for decades. Whereas X-Men was a really great prototype for an X-Men movie. You know, we are different. You are different like us. <coughs> no other superhero situations like that. Even Guardians of the Galaxy and Ensemble Cast, that's, that's completely different. This, this was almost more like a freaking vampire movie. <laughs> Uh, in terms of like you know uh, like being indoctrinated into this weirdo family, uh, mm. whereas Spider Man, he's got the tights. They're brightly coloured. That is a superhero. They're not dressed as bikers. <laughs> I could not do this list without Spider Man. For me, I'm so attached to the rest of my list. I'm almost willing to say I will go with the majority on either X Men or Spider Man. I'll throw my vote behind one of them. Okay, um, we it's, may have it's to a this one at the end then. Yeah, it's, it's it's a shame almost that we can't like just you know meld them into one movie and say X Spider Man and that that's the that's the movie on the list. <laughs> it is a shame because there's there's a there's at least one more pairing of movies that are so like like both deserve to be on here and both achieve similar things that. Um, yeah, it's, it's a similar situation. But, uh, yeah, okay, anyone else for Spider-Man? So we've got Bob and me. Sharon, are we still on the fence? No, Spider-Man, I would say definitely. Sharon, okay. Uh, and Paris? 
No, you made a compelling argument. I, I would say Spider-Man. <laughs> okay. Right. So we got four for X-Men and four for Spider-Man, but they're a different four. Okay. So anybody, uh, anything between 2002 and 2008? Yes. Aha. What have we got? I have an honorable mention, okay. which just fell out of my list. Kill Bill. Okay. Ooh, Explain. Okay. The bride. The bride is. A, the bride, <laughs> depending on your point of view, she's either a superhero or she's a supervillain. And we're just seeing she's already been established. We don't get her origin story, but it is told throughout those two movies that she's basically the most dangerous woman in the world, and she is on a path of revenge. And it culminates at the end. She gets her revenge against Bill, but just in the context of what we've been discussing today i mean she is a person of extraordinary ability and she uses it depending again on your point of view to uh help people or to kill people right so i mean that that's just an honorable mention it didn't make my final list but the one that did Mm -hmm. is the incredibles Yeah, that was my yeah. honorable mention. Yeah, because I felt that it, it worked on two levels in that it established that, yes, you can have superhero animated superhero movies. And mm-hmm. I don't think we have a big hero six without without the Incredibles. And obviously mm-hmm. we're going to get a sequel now. Um, and it also was rooted in that superheroes are people, too. Yeah. And it told the story of them trying to simply fit in as being normal instead of trying to be extraordinary. And I thought that's was the secret sauce that made that movie so great. Like the one scene that always sticks out to me and I, you know, I'm married kids been a long time and uh, is when he's driving off to go to the Island and the wife kind of knows something up, but she doesn't really know. Yeah. And she just kind of, it's like, I really love you and just gives him that look mm. and he's oblivious to it and drives off. But that kind of hit home for me in that, yeah, they're superheroes and all that, but she still loves this man and she's worried that he no longer loves her. You know, it wasn't even about being a superhero movie at that point. It was about the relationship of a husband and a wife. But then you have the complete backdrop of these are super, you know, former superheroes at that point, just trying to live their lives. And I thought that's what was fantastic about it. So, yeah, it made my list at number five. So it's uh, just it's just outside mind. Uh, it literally would have been my eighth choice because I think certain I think there is now an audience of people who are watching superhero movies who probably their first exposure to superheroes was The Incredibles. Mm. Uh, that might have been the movie they were watching when they were five or six, and now they're 16 and they're lapping up every Marvel DC movie that comes to the screen. Mm. Um, it just dropped out for me because I'm not sure how important it was to the genre or how outside of itself. Yeah. yeah, how influential, uh, despite it being a really fantastic movie. And when I did mention it to uh, Seven James, my co-host, they said it's certainly the best Fantastic Four movie that has ever been. I was just about screen. to say, if you include the new one, and we can't possibly pass judgment on the Josh Trank trans- Fantastic Four, but The Incredibles is the best of the four Fantastic Four films. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, um, I've also got a couple more also, Rans. Uh, two more. Uh, in 2000, I forgot this one, Unbreakable. Yeah, yeah Quentin, I, I Quentin Tarantino's favourite um, superhero movie. M. Night Shyamalan, let's treat this thing deadly, like somberly serious. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Cost 75, made 248, eh. And it, it, it brought Samuel L. Jackson on the scene, who continued to stick around for The Incredibles. So it was like, it was the keepy-uppy. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a legitimately uh, decent, uh, serious take on the, on the superhero uh, genre. And uh, it's a respectable film. I wouldn't say it's one of the most important, but it's definitely noteworthy. Yeah. Uh, um, also, Spider-Man 2. For, I mean, in the same way as X-Men 2, yeah. it's better than the original. And yeah. um, if, uh, this like, was, if this was the best seven superhero movies, oh, yeah. Spider- Spider-Man 2 would be in there without question. Not for me, because I, I have serious problems with all Spider-Man films, but it's a great film. And uh, yeah, I think most people would actually w- would say that Spider-Man Two is like way up there for, for just in terms of a technical achievement. It's... And when you talk about the post 9/11 New York moment, oh, the yeah. moment with Spider-Man on the oh. train is that that is that moment in Absolutely. in filmmaking. Yeah, they they kind of uh, they ref they sort of got it on the bridge bit in uh, the first Spider-Man, but yeah, the the, the train bit and the, you know we we respect our heroes and and honor them. That's a that's a wonderful moment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, here's the big question, folks, because I went back and forth on it myself, and I'm not even sure I know. 2005 and 2008, Batman Begins or The Dark Knight? Discuss. I have to go Dark Knight over okay. Batman Begins. Okay. Because kind of just going along in this discussion, I think the superhero genre had already been saved by Spider-Man and X-Men uh, at this point. Okay, yeah. But then The Dark Knight took it to the level to where we are today. And, and Batman Begins obviously was very close I was really thinking about having this on my list but just as in importance I think The Dark Knight is more I yeah I, I agree I think if I think if um, Batman Begins had been like a bigger thing or if there hadn't been the Spider-Man movies in between it would be different but when you look at Batman Begins realistically they were going to make more Batman movies no matter what. The toys were still selling. They were still cranking out new variations on the animated series. There was never a danger of Batman going away. The whole superhero genre could fall off the cliff tomorrow, and they'd still make Batman That's a fine because, point, yeah. Because it's that much bigger. So, like, Batman Begins didn't really save anything. It kind of introed a pretty cool new version of Batman and gave the... The imp- like Bat- Batman Begins is a trailer for The Dark Knight. It's a good movie. <laughs> it's a good movie, but like the thing people came out of that movie talking about when people were saying, "Oh my God, I'm so jazzed for another one." It wasn't about I can't wait to see Christian Bale more. It wasn't about I want to find out what's going on with the League of Shadows. It, it was wasn't about, about a calling card. Yeah, it was it about the theatrical. It's it's like X Men Two. I legitimately don't believe X Men Two would be a fun as fondly remembered a movie as it was if not for that final shot teasing a sequel that never happened mm-hmm. oh and that bit at the end of x-men 2 I don't even, i've mentioned magneto going mental but then you immediately get the x-men standing in the president's office in black in the dark glowing eyes glaring at him everyone else is frozen me it's it's us and you mr president what you gonna do mr president you gonna try and bully us mr president we're more powerful than you mr president <laughs> we're the good guys mr president you're fucking evil as fuck that's what you are that is the worst written ending <laughs> <laughs> I liked it at the time, but I was an angry, um, recently no longer teenager at the time. Yeah. This is what you do, man. Take it to the president and threaten the shit out of him in the same office he was just about nearly assassinated in. With the same guy who almost assassinated him. Who's going, hi, it's me. Yeah, oh. remember me? The yeah, I'm with these guys now. They're good, but I'm good now too. It's confusing, but... <laughs> The X-Men movies and The Matrix both need that when you're a teenager curve to explain some of the appeal. Yeah. Because, like, once you hit 25, 
those movies almost no longer make sense. But at the time, whether you have Lawrence Fishburne or Patrick Stewart saying, you know, a variation on, have you ever felt disenchanted? (laughs) (laughs) You ever felt like the world is against you and no one understands you? Yes. Yes, I have. Everyone has. Because you just described being 14. (laughs) (laughs) You feel like everyone else is sheeple, right? (laughs) Yeah. That's cool. Okay. Uh, that, yeah, actually, speaking of which, we, we, Sharon and I have been almost about to review the Matrix trilogy several times throughout this podcast. And every time we sit down and watch it, we go, wow, we love the Matrix. And then, God, those second and third movies are stupid. But at the end of the day, second and third movies have some really thought-provoking things in there. And in the first one, they butcher a lot of totally just like doing their job policemen. They yeah. kill them. And they didn't have to. So it was yeah. okay because they were plugged in and didn't know any better. They so they're shoot, not like and they're, they're, they're not real like you are. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. disturbing and uh, definitely needs to be talked about. <laughs> we'll we'll do it sometime, folks. But that was that was our quick capsule review. Okay, so um, Dark Knight. We got we got uh, Paris and Bob, Joe. So I'm going to kind of agree with everyone and disagree with everyone at the same time. Um, I, I think that I think that the Dark Knight is certainly the more important of the two movie uh, of the two movies. I think Batman Begins is a better movie. I won't get into the reasons here, but I, could, I mean that's that's that's, that, that's that's for another time. But personally, I mean, I don't. You might have noticed I've already already listed six of the movies on my list. Um, I don't have a Christopher Nolan Batman movie on here. And I think they were, like you said, Batman was going to be around whatever. Mm. Christopher Nolan made a very great self-contained trilogy mm. um, that were that were hugely important mm. in, terms of, in terms of capturing the cultural imagination at the time. And that's, and that's ultimately, I think, if you are going to go for a Christopher Nolan Batman, you go for The Dark Knight because that is the film that won an Oscar or two Oscars, I think. That's the film that made that much money. Look at the, but the box office of Batman Begins wasn't huge. It was but 350... The, three, hang on. It was 374, which is only a bit more than X-Men First Class. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, The Dark Knight would be the movie that is important of those three movies it is the one that it completely dominated pop culture at the moment it's out but when when i'm thinking and, and i did originally have this on my list um and took it out because i think if, you, if you're talking about importance and importance for the genre mm-hmm. i think it kind of begins and ends with christopher nolan's batman movies wow. and there is an argument that dc are continuing the kind of darker grittier time it's a weak argument because i mean even the dark knight rises couldn't top the dark knight <laughs> Well, I said, you said, so you've got you've got their their new wave, their DC shared universe that they're going to really you know pull into effect with uh, Batman versus Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think less than the Dark Knight inspiring those. I think it like the the comics Dark Knight is inspiring those. I, I think if you're talking about the influences on DC going forward, they're the comic books and their Marvel. They're not Christopher Nolan's Batman's, um, and I think that they're. they're, they're uh, to a point, great movies in their own right, but uh, they're not on my list of important superhero movies. Sharon, um, I would say these the are Dark compelling Knight. arguments. By the way, I hadn't even. I mean, I, I, I just it was the Dark Knight was like one of my straightaway ones, but uh, yeah, okay, I'm wavering here. Not enough to go with Turtles instead, but I'm wavering. <laughs> Sharon. Uh, out of the two, The Dark Knight and um, Batman Begins, I would say definitely The Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. Um, I think 
it's for, for arguments that have already been made extremely successfully by everybody else. Um, one thing I would comment, though, and this is more of an observation than a reason, but that Oscar that the Dark Knight got, um, that's something, right, it frustrates the hell out of me that these films are getting made and the quality is improving all the time. And I don't rate the Oscars in terms of actually judging the quality of what's out there. But they turn their noses up at performances in these films every damn time. And it's if you look at what you have to do to be in a superhero movie and get recognised for the performance you pull, not only does it have to be what is almost universally acknowledged to have been the best villain performance of all time, you also have to die. And then from there <laughs> There's on There's dedication. From there on in, it's like the Academy say, well, you know, we gave Ledger one for The Dark Knight. What more do you want? Nice. That, that com- you're I- not. No one else is getting one. I completely agree on that. And I think to me it speaks to the larger kind of... Uh, the impact of The Dark Knight not really being felt beyond those films because when, I mean, The Dark Knight was supposed to be the superhero movie that crashed the Oscars and legitimised the genre. And originally that was one of the points I had, this legitimised the genre, in the eyes of certain people anyway. Um, But it it really didn't, it didn't extend beyond those movies. And even, even when The Dark Knight Rises came out, that wasn't a movie that the Academy took notice of. And to be honest, that's that's kind of an industry problem. Comedy has the same problem. A great comedy performance, like Robert Downey Jr. being nominated for Tropic Thunder, didn't mean that a bunch more comedians were nominated in the following years. It was just, it was kind well, of an inspiration. Because it was basically speaking the language that a lot of the Academy speak to each other every day. You know, they, they were, it was an in-joke for them, pretty much. But that's, in terms of The Dark Knight, I think it, it kind of speaks to my larger point that it had an impact in and of itself, but whether it had an impact beyond that is questionable. It was uh, one bullet point I've got. It's it's the first superhero movie without the superhero's name in the title. That was a bold move mm. to basically go. Mm. This is this goes beyond the superhero name, the cachet of that that you all know. We are confident enough in this. We can call this something different. I uh, I, I think the Dark Knight is another. One. I like the Dark Knight. Um, I like Batman Begins. I'm I'm less so on Rises. But I think Rise is just a straight-up bad movie. But <laughs> uh, if we're being completely honest, what's interesting is that The Dark Knight has had an impact, but it hasn't had the kind of impact that every other movie on this list has had in terms of either being so good that everything else followed it yeah. or so bad that everything else ran away from it. It's had an impact as like kind of like staking a reference point that every other film in the genre now uses – whether or not it's acknowledging it at all, where the Marvel films are almost universally described if someone's trying to find the tone as the opposite of the Dark Knight. They're not grim, they're not gritty, they stay as close to the comics as possible, they're colorful, they're aimed at kids and teenagers, whereas the Dark Knight is, the comics are stupid, this is what Batman would be in the real world, this is what the Joker would be in the real world, we're grim, we're gritty, you know, having fun is a four-letter word in the Christopher Nolan universe, and, you know, we're taking this stuff deadly seriously, and it works, But what's interesting is that its influence has been on non-comic book movies much more profoundly than than other comic book movies. That's a really good point, yeah. Like, Casino Royale is the Dark Knight version of James Bond. 
the D- Daniel Craig is what like if they could have hired Christopher Nolan to make those movies, they would have mm. because that's what they're doing. Like that that like the the version of James Bond that comes after Dark Knight is uh, the Dark Knight version of Bond. Uh, the, 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 hang on, uh, that would have been the Batman Begins Bond. The Batman Begins Bond, well. right, yeah. right. Yeah, I would I would argue because Casino Royale is the Batman Begin Bond, Begins Bond. Right. Yeah. Skyfall is the Dark Knight Bond. Sam Mendes has been watching a lot of Chris Nolan before he yeah. made that movie. Yeah. No, it has nothing to do with the Dark Knight. What, that scene where they put the deformed, weird, uh, you know, fake, kooky villain in a glass cage and it turns out he wanted to be in there for the whole time for an elaborate terror plot that actually makes no spatial sense if you stop and think about it? No, it's a completely different movie. Mommy was very bad. (laughs) Okay. 2008. How many of you guys have got Iron Man? Yep. Yep. No. Do. Whoa. I, I, I don't have Iron Man. Like okay. I said, I've already I've already taken six spots up on my list, which means I have one movie left, um, and I I've saved it. <laughs> um, basically, because I'm saving a vote for something that is coming later, and Why? something that is very is very related to Iron Man. Okay. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I I think I almost I should save that for when we get to that movie. Okay. I completely understand why that would be. Uh, obviously, you know, for, for Iron Man, this was the first. Marvel Studios produced superhero movies, so it was the first time that Marvel went, look, okay, we're doing this now. We have watched you guys, you know, do good movies, do bad movies, do Elektra, and now we're going to do (laughs) this ourselves. And not only are we going to do that, we're going to do what people have been wanting, which is the shared universe. And, you know, even if it was like kind of a cat stance, soft-footed, we'll just stick Stark in at the end of Incredible Hulk, see how that pans out. It was that it was a risk. It was a risk of a director because you know John Favreau. Uh, he's best known for Swingers, which was a 1997 indie film that I suppose probably by 2008 was best remembered by uh, 20-something men who still call each other money. Uh, as much as I love Swingers, the whole point of Swingers is that Trent is a fucking dick, and if you don't get that about Swingers, you need to watch Swingers some more. Um, but. <laughs> But, uh, so yeah, Favre is a risk. My God, is Robert Downey Jr. a risk? And it's reflective in the, uh, the pre-press about it, but going, huh, Marvel's coming with the B-team. And uh, the, the idea of, you know, that they've got this drunk playing the star and then there's nobody directing and it's this hero no one's heard of. Meanwhile, Sony are about to clean up with their Spider-Man 3. And also Marvel mortgaged their entire future on this. Yeah, they leveraged everything on it. And yeah, uh, they're, they're in, oh, they're, the rights to all their heroes could have been lost if yeah. this movie had have lost... Well, if this movie and probably the next one had have lost money, but given that that was The Incredible Hulk, they yeah. probably would have been in trouble. Um, yeah. have, it, basically, those two would have had to bomb like crazy. Like Basically, everyone would have had to go, you know what, guys? Dark Knight's coming out this summer. Not going to bother me going to see Iron Man. Oh, he's funny. That's fine. But for some reason, funny worked. Mm. And funny funny worked in spider-man as well so people respond quite well to that and have continued to respond quite well to that that's a, it's a it was a major kind of like just put drawing a line well not, uh, putting a stake down with a flag attached to it saying come to this film you'll have a laugh it'll be great fun 
and you're going to leave excited for the next one and there's going to be a next one and I, I love that um, you've done a, a, a recent video Bob about the object in motion tends to stay in motion thing about that Marvel are on a roll here and even if they do bad films they've still got other ones in production and at some point they're going to do good ones so they're kind of like this was the one that started the train rolling there is no way I couldn't have it on my list. As good as, as as important as Ninja Turtles and Batman and Robin are in the grander scheme of things, Iron Man and also Avengers are made. Because basically, Iron Man, it's a magic trick. Iron Man is the pledge. The Avengers is the prestige. Mm. Yeah, I, I hate to sound like a broken record because I, <laughs> I feel like I've been saying this for every movie, but this is another one where I, I like this movie. I don't necessarily love it. I think it's a really good B-plus of a movie, but I think Iron Man is sort of on my list standing in for the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe that came after mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. without this, there's no Avengers, there's no Captain America, there's no Guardians of the Galaxy, there's no Disney getting bought by Marvel – There's no Marvel cementing itself as, yes, we are the dominant superhero brand, not Warner Brothers, a.k.a. Batman and Friends. Bob, stop describing my nightmares, man. This is is what it is. It's not uh, – nothing has happened without – it's the importance of that can't be overestimated and also the idea of someone actually – after many attempts at this, at taking B and C list superheroes and saying, well, maybe there's something in this that comic book fans have always kind of said, oh, that's okay too, but that the mainstream audience might respond to looking at this and saying, you know what, maybe the wisecracking super genius who's sort of like Batman, but he's wearing a man cave, maybe that guy will connect with audiences. And this time it actually paid off. Yeah. So, so pretty much everyone's on for Iron Man except for Joe because you're holding it back for the Avengers. Yeah, and I, and I think the Avengers... Um, it's for the same reason, though, isn't it? Because you're on there. Yeah. That's the exemplary, symbolic, this is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And Bob, for you, even though Iron Man itself isn't that much of a charming movie for you, it's symbolic of the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? Yeah, with... Avengers would take Iron Man's place on my list, but mm. you can't. But if it's in terms of import, without Iron Man, there is no Avengers. Yeah. Okay. You see, I, I without the pledge, there is no prestige. <laughs> the, the reason the reason I go Avengers over Iron Man, and I, I I understand this is like a close run thing, but the fact that the Avengers was always the end point of those mm. Iron Man mm. movies, the the, the the fact that from the very start, Marvel were aware they were building to the Avengers. Yeah. That's important. It's not like Iron Man was made and they put Nick Fury at the end and thought, well, if this goes well, we'll eventually get to an Avengers movie. Their plan was always to make Iron Man movies, Hulk um, and Captain America and Thor, and to lead to an Avengers movie. Yeah. Um, and I think that if the Avengers had a flop, that yeah, we'd probably we'd probably still have got an Iron Man three. But if people hadn't have, if if people hadn't have gone for the Avengers, that that would be kind of it for shared universes. We wouldn't have shared universes yeah. anymore. Well, because yeah, and, and similarly to the thing, pre-press for Iron Man, they were like, okay, Marvel, yeah, okay, we've enjoyed a couple of those movies, and, you know, we didn't really buy Thor because it was a little bit wacky, but Avengers can't possibly be worth this wait, surely, all this build-up, and then it was. I think you almost point to a film like Iron Man 2 to make the argument why the Avengers is more important, because, I, yes, Iron Man had that post credit scene, and, yes, it kind of set the ball rolling, yeah. but Iron Man 2 is a movie that people didn't respond to hugely well, 
Um, and that was the movie that really laid bare, hey, we're going to do Avengers movies. We're, we're, we're building to an Avengers movie to maybe sectors of the audience that didn't know what direction Marvel were taking. And when you look at the box office, there are people that either just saw Iron Man movies, just saw a Captain America movie, just saw a Thor movie, and then went to see the Avengers. Yeah. The Avengers is the thing that... And maybe or some went to see Avengers saw twice. Nor- saw, saw none of them, but they went, they went to see the Avengers. And, and for me, the Avengers is the movie that... If that fails, this whole genre doesn't change. You continue having individual superheroes who have sequels, but you don't have these big, giant crossover events. The Avengers, for me, is the movie that specifically takes... And I know everyone's probably going to want the Avengers on the list anyway, but my argument is that kind of the the Avengers does everything that kind of... Uh, the the arguments that we're making for Iron Man. And I think if, it, I, if it's if, it, if it's a list that is you know that we're struggling to get down to seven, I would want the Avengers there ahead of Iron Man. Well, I'd argue first of all, Avengers isn't on my list, but I'd oh. argue that would you even care about the Avengers if Iron Man wasn't a wasn't a success? And the reason I say that is this, which is when why I look I have at both. Right, but I say the, the reason I say is this: I look at DC right now. If Batman Superman doesn't grab me, I could care less about Justice League. I really could. It doesn't matter to me. Wonder Woman, Flash, Black Adam, all that stuff that they're trying to do down the road, I could care less because you've established that this is the world that these heroes are going to live in. And unless I believe in that world, I'm not going to care about when they all team up. So I think in that sense, Iron Man is more important because he made me believe that Marvel could pull this off in the modern day and make me believe that these superheroes existed in, in this modern universe. And then, yeah, at, at that point, I'm excited for them all to team up as the Avengers. Now, well, as Man of Steel didn't do that for you with uh, the DC uh, universe, yeah. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And, well, I mean, that's another podcast for another day, but I feel they haven't given Superman enough room on his own yet before shoving Batman back down our throat again. So, I mean, philosophically, I have a whole, whole issue with Batman Superman anyways. I'm but, not even entirely convinced he's Superman. It's too dark and grim. Yeah. <laughs> I can't see him properly. The he's suit dressed as right. Superman, kind of, but he's also dressed as Thor. Just wait until the next one if you thought Man of Steel was too dark, oh, is, is what I'm hearing. The first film to be shot entirely in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be like the descent. Um, okay, uh, you see. Right. Uh, sorry, just just to go back to that argument. That's that's why I point to Iron Man two because I think a lot of people did come out of Iron Man two and went, Ugh. and that was a movie full of Avengers teases. And I think you, just if you look at the box office for those movies, the Avengers had such a huge box office that 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 wasn't just people who had seen Iron Man films. There were people who hadn't seen Iron Man films that were going to see the Avengers. Um, and if you look at the box office bump that Iron Man 3 got, that Captain America 2 got after the Avengers, I think that's the movie that, in terms of broadening audiences, I mean, people might have seen Iron Man and thought, that was a good film, I liked that, I liked the tone of that. But I think the Avengers is the movie that has taken superheroes and pulled in so many new people uh, to the genre and, and has, and I think, I, th- I, I it's think the first it, to 1.5 billion, it, it, it even yeah. uh, the out, the dark Knight was one and a bit billion. Oh yeah. It's nowhere near. Yeah. Um, but the, oh, yeah, I think, I think if, if, Man 3. I think if the, I think if the Avengers fails, DC aren't doing what they're doing now. X-Men oh, aren't doing, uh, Fox yeah. aren't doing what they were doing with X-Men. Yeah. If Iron Man fails, but then they get, but they, still you know stagger through with decent superheroes and the avengers is still a success 
I think we still get all of these films now. So how? And, 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 and I point, and I point to Hulk's good, and then they somehow well, no, push forward with Kevin. Uh, oh, almost if you've got four, if you've got four separate mediocre, mediocre superhero movies that lead to an Avengers movie. Sounds I like think DC it's, to me. Well, 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 and and the proof will be. Oh, actually, pudding, sorry, no, get, but they're just going to do Justice League. Two super mediocre superhero movies, and then they'll do a Justice League. I, I think that if, I wish like, The Rock was playing one of the heroes. By the way, Black Adam. I mean, seriously, I just I, I want to see The Rock as like Billy Bats. Like, make him Shazam. Hey, maybe he's both. Maybe we just don't know yet. I, I wish. Well, a side note on that: doesn't that just go to show you that they have no faith in Captain Marvel on, on its own? That it's really all about the villain. You know, yeah. it, it, it really comes all the way back full circle to Batman 89. Who's I mean, they're the, marketing the villain versus marketing the hero. Who's Captain Marvel right now? Who's, who's Shazam? No there's, clue. There's no actor. Oh, my. No. Just, I mean, like, what, what, what's the point? You've got the Boy Scout already. Uh, the, the other thing was, like, that when they do Captain, like, Shazam, he's got to be a kid. He, like, you've, like, they can't have this teenage boy. That he has yeah. got to be Billy Batson, the kid who just dreams of being a superhero and really wants to do things. And he's like really like like a child at heart and this pure hearted boy, because without that, he's just darkness Superman again. <sighs> yeah, I'm tempted to say if they're if they're going to do it and they're like if they've already got the rock to be Black Adam, they should like just dump some money on John Cena for Captain <laughs> Marvel. <laughs> he could he could do it. His current wrestling persona seems like he was a 10-year-old who ducked into the closet and said a magic word right before the match. I'm trying to think of, like, really, you know, fresh-faced young beefcakes, but none that that immediately spring to mind. They're all, like... Working um, for Marvel. Yeah. (laughs) They're all called Chris, and they're blonde. (laughs) Okay, so... um, Okay, uh, for the rest of the event... Like, actually, before we finish on Avengers... There's a couple of other ones to, to maybe mention before we like kind of like close this one out. Watchmen 2009 is an also ran. What does Watchmen signify? Because I don't think anyone's has anyone got that, this on their list. That, that that was in my just out of the list yeah. honorable mention. In that may not be the greatest movie in the world, but love or hate Zack Snyder, he again he 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 further proved that you could have this ensemble team and it could somewhat work. And it was and it was dark and and I appreciated that, but. I mean, you know, it wasn't that great of a movie. It was supposed overall. to be an unfilmable book, and they somehow managed right. to sort of uh, make make it. A, a, I like Watchmen. I, I, it's it's not likable in that in that same way, but uh, I like what they did with it. I I don't hold the uh, original book in the same reverence as a, a lot of fans. But uh, I actually I actually watched Watchmen last night. We are we're we're doing oh, Watchmen that's as just the Watchmen. Yeah, <laughs> we're doing we're doing it as our next episode in Cinematic Universe. Oh, cool, cool. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a very interesting one to get into. I don't think I could make an argument for it in terms of importance because if, if you're talking about Zack Snyder superhero movies, uh, you're probably 300 is probably closer to the thing that had a lot of impact. Um, Watchmen is a great slavishly. Um, oh, yeah, 300 has spawned all kinds of like Greek god hero mm. epics. In the- 300 might be on my list of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, wasn't it, to be honest? Yeah. <laughs> the way that uh, Watchmen has, has basically said said to Hollywood, R-rated superhero blockbusters cannot get you loads of money. Not that you ne- not the kind of money you need. Made a hun- cost 130 million, made 485 million. You need double that to for it to really for an R-rated superhero film. And that's why there was no God of War movie made. I, I I don't have Watchmen on my list, but I think that it it deserves an honorable mention just for the fact that it was a movie that everyone for years had basically begged 
everyone who owned the rights to one of these iconic standalone Vertigo graphic novels mm. to just take that, do a basically perfect, except for the octopus, page-to-screen adaptation of exactly that. Keep the dialogue, keep the violence, keep the themes, just do exactly that, and we promise we will turn out and make that the godfather of superhero movies, and it didn't come together. And I think it's a perfectly great film of exactly what it is. I think it's hugely underrated. It's probably Zack Snyder's masterpiece, in my opinion. But the fact that someone actually did that, I mean kiss your Sandman movie goodbye, kiss your good Swamp Thing movie goodbye, kiss good versions of Constantine and Preacher that isn't a TV show goodbye, because <laughs> they made the movie that fanboys had demanded for 20 years with Watchmen, and the response was, from general audiences, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and from comic book fans was, oh man, you don't have the squid, and and uh, turned up their noses at it. Brilliant. I think so, what what what, what I think a lot of people also said, "Ew, you can see his wiener." <laughs> <laughs> it's all blue. I think what Watchmen taught us is that there is a uh, for for some stories there is a a perfect medium, and Watchmen already existed in its perfect medium. It's kind of like you wouldn't you wouldn't write a novelization of Citizen Kane. That's never going to have the same impact. Um, and there are certain things that Watchmen can do on the page that it can't do on the screen. Um, that's not to say it's a bad movie, and that's not to say that it it wasn't important in telling that particular lesson. But um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much it changed the the superhero movie universe. But I think it was. I think it was an important thing that that it got made because if it hadn't been made, it would be still being tried to be made now. I got to scrap my yeah. musical of Casablanca. <laughs> <laughs> Right, yeah, so Watchmen, I think it's a noteworthy kind of, like, worth mentioning. Um, Sharon mentioned X-Men First Class. Can, uh, up against these heavyweights, it's never going to get in. But there was a good reason why you mentioned it, and it was? Uh, it proved that you could uh, basically fuck up a franchise and go back and fix it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It was supposed to be, if you, uh, if you folks remember, uh, it was going to be X-Men Origins Wolverine and then X-Men Origins Magneto. And it was going yep. to be... A, uh, and they scrapped that idea because it was shit. And uh, <laughs> if, if they just focused on Eric, it wouldn't be interesting enough. And, of course, the most interesting aspect of Eric is, is how he relates to Charles. And so they made that their kind of reboot slash prequel. And, of course, they codified that with um, uh, There's a Future Past. But it's... Also, the the legitimately best X Men movie by a country mile. Agreed. Yeah, I, I think so. I think what's interesting the the, the X Men franchise it essentially got that soft reboot with First Class, and then Days of Future Past did a huge. Uh, I I'm, the balls that it took to do what they did with that movie, and the fact that I I don't particularly like it as a movie, but in terms of resetting their universe and what they have at least given themselves as a platform for working forwards. Yeah. Uh, the, the, X-Men, the X-Men franchise is fascinating. Yeah. Um, Although yeah, disturbing. I think, there's, you think like, about... there's, there's, there is an argument for so many of them. It's disturbing if you think about the fact that they're, at the very end, um, Wolverine gets pasted over the pre-existing Wolverine, so that guy just ceases to exist, and some other alternate universe version just gets pasted over him. It's like, what? Oh, oh, you're back. And I'm gonna miss that other Wolverine because we were really good friends. I oh, know it's. St- <laughs> wait, wait, sorry. Well, it's it's still the same Wolverine in terms of his mind. He has just lived forty years in the future and then continued to live 
but we also the sum totality of our experiences and like all of those like he that, that those memories jumped from the 70s all the way through to like 2019 or whenever it is and all of those experiences he had in between that time just boom gone so it's like he had I, I, a I, I, bullet I'll be no, honest, I, I disagree. I, I, I think he has lived 1970 to 2010 twice. <laughs> so like of, he's lived those four years twice. Okay. Um, he does honestly, clearly have memories of both uh, of, of both um, Scott and Gene being alive and dead. So yeah, that's it's probably, probably like the frequency thing where you can remember both. Oh, God, my brain's already Swiss cheesing this thing. <laughs> See, this is what happens when you bring time travel into it. It gets all confusing. It doesn't matter. The next the, the next one's in the 80s, and eventually we'll get rid of Brian Singer, and there will be someone in who knows how a color, color palette works. That's what suddenly the drop-off was for me. It was like, Matthew Vaughn, you're doing it! Fantastic! At long last, the next minute, oh, he's gone. <laughs> and now, si- quick. And now Singer's back. Okay, I guess it's better than Ratner. I mean, it's good. It's good. It's just not no, Sing- good Singer at least gets the themes. He gets what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. He 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 was he's the first. I mean, I, I give Brian Singer a ton of shit for you know a lot of things about the first X Men movies, but he is the person who him and the writers of those movies are the ones who really kind of yanked the X-Men from 90s metaphor into 2000s metaphor Mm. by saying, yes, we know in the 60s and 70s this was about Dr. King and Malcolm X and about the civil rights movement, but you know what? Mm. It's the 2000s. This works much better as a gay teenager metaphor, and that's what we're doing. Could you just try not being a mutant? (laughs) Um, Okay, two more interesting suggestions. One, Guardians of the Galaxy. Simply because... And this comes back to something Kevin Feige said, which I love, which is I don't believe in the A-list, B-list, C-list heroes. I don't believe in the tiered system. As far as we're concerned at Marvel, everyone is A-list. We just have to show that to the public. And they took complete nobodies. Who are you? Star-Lord. Who? (laughs) Star-Lord, man. Like that, that, the film starts by saying, okay, you may not have heard of me, but just stick with me. It's going to be great fun. And they somehow made everyone love them to the tune of $774 million. The jubilance with which people came out of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, uh, No one was going to turn up for that. Uh, Even I remember saying on this very podcast, Guardians of the Galaxy, I don't care. Because I was thinking about the fact that the comic is obscure and the fact that I don't know this stuff. And I wasn't trusting Marvel to just basically push it through. Now, I could be have egg on my face when Ant-Man uh, comes out and it's rubbish, maybe. But um, Guardians of the Galaxy proved that you don't have to be Batman to be absolutely just like come out of nowhere and knock it out of the park. Honestly, I think I think Marvel had... I mean, twice as much as Batman Begins. I think I think Marvel had semi-proved that with uh, Iron Man, and the reason I think if Guardians of the Galaxy had come out when Iron Man did, uh, it wouldn't have made that money. The reason that Guardians of the Galaxy was successful was a, it was good, um, and b, it had Marvel branding slapped all over it. It was from the people who brought you the Avengers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I that's would... why it succeeded. Oh yeah, shit, shit, shit! Hang on, so Paris has just gone. When was that? No, I'm I'm not gone yet, but um, unfortunately, I have I have an issue I need to deal with, so I'm going to have to drop off. So oh, I, I do apologize for that. Right. Can I get uh, your final um, your t- your list so that I can basically note it and uh, mention it at the end? Yes, my list okay. from one to seven in order was Superman from '78. Okay. Was Batman from '89? Was okay. The Matrix in '99? I had X Men Two. 
I had The Incredibles, I had Iron Man, and I had The Dark Knight. And you haven't changed any of them? Well, I changed from X-Men 2 to Spider-Man. Okay. Iron Man, <laughs> Dark Knight, uh, uh, Spider-Man. Okay, hang on. Let's count these. <coughs> One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yep, that is seven. So Superman, Batman, Matrix, Spider-Man, Incredibles, Iron Man, Dark Knight. Yes. Okay. Thank you, Paris. Uh, are you? Do you say you're going to be able to stick around for a little bit more, or no? I unfortunately have to go right oh, now. Um, but I, I just want to say before I go, thank you, everyone, uh, for having me on. I, it was a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank Hopefully, you. we can do something yeah. post Ultron. I'd, I'd love. Yeah, it. that would be great. Um, so, do you want to pimp your show very quickly before you go? Uh, sure. Uh, if anybody wants to hear me, I do a gaming podcast uh, called uh, Gamertag Radio. I also do a pop culture film and television podcast called Remember When. You can find those at GamertagRadio.com and FilmTangent.com, respectively. Thank you very much, Paris. We'll no, thank you. you. Nice to Skype to meet you. Yes. Thank you very much for joining us. It was a pleasure, man. Good to see you. Yeah, absolutely. Talk to you guys soon. Okay, was someone about to say something about Guardians of the Galaxy? I think Guardians, I it's not on my list. I think that if in a couple years we know that its impact actually works beyond just being a big box office hit. Sure, sure. we can't see we'll the talent know. on this one. Yeah. Be, because like 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 you said before, um, it made a billion dollars off of being a great film, but I don't think people – I mean it made a billion dollars worldwide and became this absolutely massive hit because it was really good, because it has a great screenplay, great cast. It's well-directed. It's just a fantastic fucking science fiction comedy. <laughs> but without the Marvels before the title, it does Jupiter Ascending's box office. Nice. <laughs> it, it does. And Seriously? Just, that people – okay, right, yeah. I don't I, think, I, I don't I, think I, it's I, quite. I, I think that might be a stretch, but I think yeah, it's certainly it's definitely closer to Jupiter Ascending's box office than its own. Did people Marvel. love Jupiter Ascending? I, I don't know what the the general no. consensus was on that. No, no. But people loved Guardians, though. They actually came out going, yeah. "I love that raccoon. I love that tree." And uh, but I, I don't know who shows up for it if not for the Marvels before that, because at this point, that's especially a with a. Yeah with a younger audience that's into it at this point, Marvel's brand is like Pixar. It says it's a, it's a seal of quality. It says mm. this is not only is this okay, but you basically know what you're getting. It's going to be PG 13. It's going to be a fun family romp kind of thing. There's going to be a lot of action. And also you probably need to see it to understand what happens in, in the next Avengers. So you'd mm. better see it. And you might learn something along the way. Yeah. Speaking of learning, this was my last minute one that I suddenly thought of while I was uh, putting this list together. 2014, the Lego movie. And I'll tell you for why. Because now, in 2016, when we see Batman versus Superman, if Ben Affleck steps up to that camera and goes, I notice you're looking for me, the entire fucking cinema is going to fall about laughing. Because yeah. they know Lego Batman now. And mm -hmm. Lego Batman has Austin powersed that guy. Yeah. You can't do Batman like Christian Bale now. And to a lesser extent, Batman from those awesome um, college humor skits. It's not who I am underneath. But what you do that defines you. It's what I do that defines me. 
Christian Bale has become a parody of himself doing that Batman voice, but that was symptomatic of the grim, dark, angry, dark, nerfs, no parents <laughs> version of Batman that had been, you know, sticking around since Frank Miller. And it's Honestly, been um, on its head now. I think you're wrong. <laughs> I think the reason I think, I think you're wrong is that the, the same reason why the Evil Dead remake came out the year after Cabin in the Woods and no one went, nope, not accepting that anymore because mainstream audiences still did accept it. It's like a spoof. People people watch Scary Movie and go, yeah, I understand all of the silly things about Scream because Scary Movie told me they're silly, but I'm still going to go watch Scream 2 and Scream 3. And I'm still going to... I'm still gonna, <laughs> But yeah, but I'm, I'm, I think people, and honestly, I think uh, maybe, I don't think Ben Affleck's Batman will have the voice, but I think he will have all of the familiar uh, kind of stuff that Chris Nolan introduced us to. And I do I do love the, the Lego movie as a as a left field choice for this, but almost because yeah. uh, it's, again, it's it's uh, a different kind of audience being exposed to DC heroes. I mean, not just not just Batman, Green Lantern gets made fun of. Uh, I super hate you. Wonder Woman with her invisible jet. But I think it's more, it's just smart work from Warner Brothers kind of seeding in the minds of their audience. Hey, look at these characters interacting with each other. Uh, you might want to get used to that. You might want to get used to the idea that uh, Wonder Woman looks like that. And yeah. I think we're going to have to wait until 2016 to see if this does pay off in one way, one direction or another to see what Snyder does and Affleck does with the character. Mm. Because or they might actually take their trailer. from it. Or whenever we get the trailer. Yeah. Which should have been out by now. They've shot most of this movie. Yeah, you'd think. This um, it, you raising the uh, Lego movie actually brings me to it's my. It, it didn't make my list, but it's kind of my last honorable mention, which mm-hmm. was uh, suggested by one of the guys I consulted for this, which is uh, Batman: Mask of Phantasm. Nice. And it doesn't. It doesn't make my list because I think the actual the the key impact the the key important text is it the made animated. less than it cost. Yeah, well, the, the key impact is the is the animated series, but in terms of there is now an entire uh, sub industry of animated superhero movies, and Mask of Phantasm was the first feature length one in that vein that that got a proper release and um is now you know still looked back at as probably the you know arguably the greatest of those animated movies and so it does have a lot of it does have a lot of importance in that like i say in that sub industry of the superhero movie and it's an industry that maybe you don't see a lot of if you are a regular multiplex movie fan but if you are a if you are like a uh, a completist or if you're a you know if you're a kid of a certain age watching and you know we've also got the other the other lego marvel heroes and level like lego dc heroes that are getting their own movies they're, they're all kind of i think that all stems back to mask of phantasm unfortunately i think for the purposes of this list mask of phantasm uh is there because of the animated series and that's why it doesn't yeah. quite make my list but i think it's a, an interesting one it's a really great at. example of how a, f- a wonderful uh superhero related film can come out and go completely unnoticed and then fade <laughs> away and no one even knew it was there well they, they but it does but i think i think you don't get a lot you don't get a lot of the other animated movies straight to dvd movies without mask of fantasy yeah i agree they blew the release of that movie. That should yeah. not have come out at Christmas. Yeah, yeah. It was mispromoted. You know, they promoted it as an animated spinoff of the Batman movies rather than as its own thing. Yep. Like the trailer has the Tim Burton Batman music in it instead of the animated series music. Oh, seriously. 
Yeah, it. I mean, they, they mainly showed it as, here's Batman, like you've never seen him before. Unless you watch TV. <laughs> yeah, unless you've been watching this hugely successful animated series that we based this on. There, there's an alternate universe where that worked, and the entire superhero landscape is completely different. God, because imagine it, animated superhero films coming out every year. Yeah. To, well, if you to look great at the, acclaim. If, well, if you look at the, the DC Comics universe, up until right before the new 52, where they, I guess, decided that 90s nostalgia was now going to be their new cash cow, which has turned out to be not a great idea. <laughs> like, like, the the decade of the DC universe from pretty much the return of Hal Jordan right up through Final Crisis was the DC universe bending over backwards to become the Bruce Timm animated universe in comic form. That's why I loved it. That's yeah. why New 52 bugs the hell out of me, still. Yeah, and then they decided that they should just do Zero Hour as an entire series forever. And, you know, lo and behold, it didn't work. <sighs> okay. Um, we. I, I, I don't think I got everyone's consensus on the Avengers, by the way. I got uh, me and Joe. We've got it in our list. Sharon? Yes. Um, for me, because... The Avengers was, as you say, it's the prestige to Iron Man's pledge. It it proves the concept that bringing these movies all together will work, that the shared universe will work. And most importantly, because of the success of the Avengers, that means phase two. If the Avengers had fizzled, yes, they might have done a couple of follow-up movies, but they wouldn't have gone into phase two with the gusto that they have. So it, to my mind, it ensured that the trend that had been growing was going to continue. And um, until we start to see the impact of the next wave, I think the Avengers is the most recent one that I can see uh, the impact of, if that makes sense. I think there will be more that I add on to the end of the list, but I need to see what uh, projected influence they're going to have first. Even if all the movies in the wake of the Avengers fail, I mean, outside of Marvel, even if X-Men's attempts to have Deadpool and Gambit and standalone movies alongside their team movies, and even if uh, DC's shared universe completely fails, all of those movies exist because of the Avengers, and they will never not exist because of the Avengers. Yeah. Um, Whereas I think with something like something like Guardians of the Galaxy, you could even say the Winter Soldier, you, that that is something that maybe you want to sit and wait and see. I think we've already felt the effects of the Avengers, and not not ju not just even in superhero movies. We're getting a Ghostbusters shared universe, and the reason we're getting a Ghostbusters shared universe with three films already pretty much confirmed is because of the Avengers, and that's that's only gonna that's only gonna become more and more so in, in blockbuster filmmaking for the next decade. Yeah, I, I was uh, I, I was persuaded earlier to uh, knock um, the Avengers off 
and leave Iron Man on to fit Ninja Turtles in, I'm actually pretty content with knocking off Iron Man and leaving in Avengers. Like, if I'm being a stickler for continuity of events, Iron Man has to come first, but I'm I'm more than persuaded that Avengers is of equal, if not greater importance to its own cycle than Iron Man was. Right. Bloody hell. So I, I think I'm going <laughs> to need all of our final lists here. I'm counting through mine. I've got eight balls. Hang on. Uh, right, I've got Superman, Batman, Batman and Robin, because I was convinced by that one. I've got X-Men and Spider-Man. X-Men is the tentative one that could possibly get knocked off. I can't go with Turtles as much as I agree with that. Uh, <laughs> there's just too many on this damn list. As much as I, lo- I love The Matrix and it did, on a technical scale, encourage the superhero uh, blockbuster, it was Spider-Man that really hit home and was proof of concept on that. Jesus so and then uh, Iron Man and Avengers, but that means Dark Knight has been knocked off simply because those were two movies that oh, the fact that he was a superhero was incidental. They were influential on, as you say, other movies, and it's almost more like the Christopher Nolan back catalogue kind of went hand in hand with that. Damn, I never expected the Dark Knight to get knocked off. Okay, right. Um, so that's my list. Um, Sharon, have you got your list? I do. Um, it's very similar to the list that I started with, um, except for one, although that's dependent on everybody agreeing that The Matrix is acceptable as a superhero movie. But I just haven't. <laughs> oh, unless, uh, I've, I've agreed that it's acceptable as a superhero, personally. Uh, how about you guys, because we, we don't have Paris around. Okay, well, I, I personally can't see it. I can't make the leap in my mind that it's a superhero movie, but I certainly wouldn't argue against you voting for it into the list uh, because right. I, I see why it is. I, I see why someone could see it as a superhero movie. Mm. And Bob? I can't go with the. I, I, I like the spirit behind the Matrix being on. I can't go with it as a superhero movie, just stickler for genre stuff. It's, it's a movie that references superheroes, but if that's what it takes to make you a superhero movie, then Die Hard is a cowboy movie because <laughs> Bruce Willis says yippee kaye. Okay, so that's uh, three of us think it is, one of us thinks it's not. So, Sharon, uh, I think the rules were we all have to observe it as a superhero movie, so right, that okay. technically so means Matrix is an out. Right, fair enough. Oh. In that case, then, my my list is the same as it was when I started. Uh, so Superman, Superman 1978, Bat- Batman 89, Batman. X-Men 2000, mm-hmm. Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2002, right. uh, The Dark Knight 2008, Iron Man 2008, The Avengers 2012. In all seriousness, I am inclined to drop The Dark Knight mm-hmm. because... Well, but see, that's the problem. I, I can't. It would have been in favour of the Matrix, but if I can't have that, we got Ninja Turtles, we got Batman and Robin, we got uh, Incredibles. I mean, most of these like that's just throwing your vote away. We've only got one for the Incredibles. I think I think I'm going to have to stick with the Dark Knight because, much though I would argue that it did not have the far-reaching influence that everybody thought it was going to have at the time, it did still make a massive impact, and it may not have. Um, affected superhero movies after that in the sense that everything was imitating it. I think you're absolutely right. It's films from other genres that have, have taken their cues from it. But it, I think but it was taking its cues from Heat. Well, it was absolutely. But I think potentially it has had a... Um, not a negative impact, that's not the term I mean, but I think superhero movies since then have made a conscious effort to steer away from it, mm. which is an influence in and of itself. Bob, you're seven. I had uh, Superman uh, 78, mm-hmm. Batman 89, uh, X-Men, Spider-Man, 
TMN, oh, sorry, TMNT before X-Men and Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I was uh, I was convinced on that one. Uh, Avengers and Dark Knight. And Joe. Okay, so um, I'm un, I'm unsure whether to, whether I actually want to change anything from my original list because I'm I'm dead set on Superman seventy eight, Batman eighty nine, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles ninety, Batman and Robin ninety seven, and Avengers twenty twelve, and so that's um, that's five of them, and then the others are X Men and Spider Man, which I kind of I kind of said at the time I would be willing to throw my weight behind just one of them, mm-hmm. and if I was going to drop one of them now, I'm just not entirely sure what I would go for instead i guess i guess the argument i can see is iron man but i think when we've got avengers on the list we don't need iron man and i don't feel passionately at all about the dark knight to transfer that vote so i I guess maybe it sounds really conceited but i'm gonna stick with my seven and say x-men and spider-man so you're saying we don't need another hero (laughs) (laughs) okay uh hold on a second i'm gonna have to do some counting because i think we're gonna have to do some voting folks that's gonna be fun and they're going to be because we've now only got four, not five. There's going to be a hung jury. I'm fairly certain. <laughs> so uh, let's see. I'm glad I got uh, Paris's before he left. Um, right, hold on. Bear with me a second. Okay, so the list in full then, folks, is Superman 1978, Batman 1989, Batman and Robin 1997. God, that sounds wrong. It does. It sounds so wrong. Okay, Batman and Robin, for all the wrong reasons, 1997. But just put a little asterisk next it's to the it. Re- it's our reverse yardstick. Bob's right. The pendulum swing away from it was so violent, it's actually created some like pretty negative uh, reactions as a result of that. And, like, you know, DC seem to hate fun now. So it's not necessarily a good thing that the pendulum swing was so violent away from it. So thanks, the people who put together Batman and Robin. You've sown nothing but evil. Uh, I think I think the fact that Marvel exists means that we've we've kind of got a happy middle ground now. Yeah. That means we've got movies to go see. Uh, X-Men in 2000. Spider-Man in 2002. Iron Man in 2008. And The Avengers in 2012. Folks, you guys are going to have to jump on the forum at digitaldrift.co.uk and give your list of seven most important could I could I just make one one final point before we go? go I think it. it would just be it would just be really interesting to say. I think we are very potentially uh, a couple of years away from the film that replaces one of these on the list. Now I, I don't know which one it will be yet. That was going to be one of my we, questions. Um, yeah, the fact that we've got a Wonder Woman movie coming, we've got a Captain Marvel movie coming, we've got a Black Panther movie coming, and hopefully, well, you know, the faith in humanity, the audiences accept those movies with more diverse leads. Yeah. Um, they, they could potentially... female superhero lead that actually really works and people love. 
Totally. Yeah, and that and that we've got um, and that we've got an African American superhero lead, and Absolutely. that potent and that potentially I don't know maybe we'll get a Black Widow spinoff, maybe Miss Marvel will be a character yeah. that they want to bring to screen. But that they are movies that could potentially again completely change the paradigm of what we're watching. And I, fingers crossed, I hope they do because it will mean um, a wider range of blockbuster superhero movies. Arguably, Blade is a uh, uh, African-American superhero that actually well, works, yeah, but in true. an R-rated context. And Steel is a African-American uh, hero who really doesn't work in a PG-13 rated context. He's, Blade certainly isn't a character that yeah. someone put, put a... Um, a Batman, an Iron Man, a Captain America budget behind. Absolutely not. So, yeah, what we're talking about is a big-budget blockbuster black superhero. Mm. Damn, we need it. And we're so close. we got Nick Fury, we got Falcon. We're just just, just a little bit closer. Just got to wait for Black Panther to turn up, and hopefully it will be a hit. So, um, anyone else want to like do any predictions on on, th- on the, what could be the eighth on this list in terms of significance? If we're sort of like we've put down a potential Captain Marvel, put down a potential Wonder Woman, put down a potential Black Panther. Anyone, anything else that's that could possibly break new ground like this? Well, I mean, the, the Justice League, the success of Justice League uh, will will d- depending on whether that does very well, very badly, depending on whether audiences embrace the DC universe, yeah. will change the movies we get to see over the next ten years. Um, but, you know, whether that's a good thing, whether that's a bad thing, and where, which way it swings, who knows? But it, it will certainly have an impact. Bob, yeah, I agree. Um, we're wait- I'm I'm waiting on to see. At this point, we know that movies made by Marvel starring white men named Chris make a lot of money. <laughs> uh, you know, if uh, we're still waiting on to see if movies from DC can do just as big, if the DC universe is going to work, if DC's, you know, thing where they're going to have a multiverse where the movies have their own continuity, the TV shows have their own continuity, but not always with each other and all of this other business, we, we need to know if that works. And um, it will be nice to see at least one of these movies crack a decent box office with a woman or a person of color in the lead. So yeah. we'll see what happens there. Okay. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you guys. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. Thank uh, you. It's time to pimp our stuff. Um, Bob, do you want to go first? Uh, right now, uh, you can, uh, if you want to look at what I'm doing, you can uh, follow my Twitter at uh, at the underscore moviebob and my uh, blog at uh, moviebob.blogspot.com and uh, check out my Patreon, which is under moviebob1. Uh, and uh, you can see uh, all of my uh, works coming up with uh, more cool stuff to announce in the near future. Thank you very much. And Joe? So yeah, I am currently hosting a comic book movie podcast called Cinematic Universe with Seb Seb Patrick and James Hunt. Um, And I play the role of a movie fan and Seb and James are the comic book experts and we appraise the movies uh, while Seb and James give more uh, insight into the comic books. Um, And you can find that by going to cinematicuniverse.libsyn.com and we're on Twitter at CU underscore podcast. Uh, we just come out with an X-Men Origins Wolverine episode, and next week we're doing Watchmen. So, uh, yeah, exciting times. And I am going to plug my uh, alternate history sci-fi western post-Civil War audio drama podcast, New Century. Sit yourselves down. I'm going to tell you a tale. The year was 1882, and America had become a wild and dangerous place, beset by a plague that turned men savage. 
Lots of lives lost. And the country we knew just kind of broke. We was alone with no word from Washington for ten years. And one October evening, I was just sitting on this here porch minding my own business when some government types rolled into town. They were traveling across the land, hooking all the settlements into this here telegraph network, trying to bring us all back together. There was this tiny little girl up front by the name of Annie Oakley. She was their captain. One old man rambling about a moth monster gets filed away in the crazy drawer. A whole town claims there's a werewolf in their woods, and we pay a little more attention. Didn't look like much, but she could shoot the balls off a coyote at 300 yards. And there was a strange English doctor with sharp eyes. Safety. Seclusion. Privacy to feed. There is a nest nearby. Oh, my giddy aunt. He fixed my back and figured out who'd been stealing my carrots. And then there was a tall, tough, red-headed lady in a Stetson. It was all mouth. Do you recall the rough population? 147, and all of them were rough. She dragged out the carrot thief after he got mean. And made him plant us a new cabbage patch. I told him a few stories about this here town, and the monsters were seen lurking in our woods. They carried on traveling across West Virginia, drawing their maps along the way, I hear tell they stumbled across that old mansion down on Briar Hill. I don't know if half the stories are true regarding what they found there, but I will say this. I'm glad I met them before all that happened. They were just outside. It's already in the house. <gasps> Holy mother! You're seeing only what you want to see. You're so fragile, James. We can really only take so much. We could make things worse. We could make them better. Well, I'm game if you are. New Century. Many stories about one extraordinary period in alternate history. The Complete Adventure of Secret Rooms is available wherever you find podcasts. Tiger's Eye starts May 11th. So that is it from us, folks. Don't touch that dial because very soon we'll be delivering our Avengers Age of Ultron analysis. We will see you there. Until then, I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And Neural Neural Handshake handshake complete. Complete. Curious. Nice what's to meet your you. top? Yeah, what's your top? What's your top Marvel movie? Um, right now it's still the Avengers. I, I still think that that's you know. Good it was movie. Winter Soldier on this video, which is still a great choice. It, uh, you know, it may it, it may be, I I don't really like do lists and then like carve them into stone. Yeah, you know, it's, it's always how I'm feeling like right at the time. And I I do think Winter Soldier on average is probably like the best one. Uh, that they've done in terms of being a like a full-on, you know, this is a good movie with no caveat. 
Mm. But I, I think that like the Avengers is probably like the most watchable, you know, like like compulsively watchable big blockbuster. Holy shit! I can't believe that this actually exists. Kind of thing that they've done. I might put so it, it would. I think Avengers would probably edge Winter Soldier just in terms of, you know, wow, holy shit, this is a thing that exists. But Winter Soldier just um, it, based on screenplay alone is probably a better movie. Mm. On a technical scale. I'm just looking at my list. I've got Winter Soldier way down at five. Whoa! <laughs> but I really, I really like Winter Soldier. Um, I Ooh, just in which ones beat Winter Soldier apart from Avengers? Yeah, um, Iron, right. Iron Man three. Okay. Okay. All right. I really, I mean, I really like, I really like Winter Soldier. I think it kind of loses grips of its themes towards the end, um, and the fact that it's called the Winter Soldier, and that's the, I think that's the weakest part of the film, the whole Winter Soldier arc. And um, I just unashamedly love the first Avenger, so I have that just above it. <laughs> hmm. And and Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, but then that that's yeah. one that I could I could kind of put Guardians anywhere in the top five. I'm not. Mm. I, yeah, I think we need a, a little bit more distance from it to know exactly where it lands. Mm. How about you? How about yeah, you, Paris? Good. My top Marvel movie, mm. Mm. or your that's top actually, five, if you will. Oh, my top five. Mm. I haven't actually thought in order, but I would definitely say the original Iron Man's up there. Um, obviously, you have to put the Avengers up there. Winter Soldier's going to be up there. Guardians is going to be in there. And I'm trying to think of what else. Wouldn't be either Thor. Definitely wouldn't be Iron Man 2. Definitely wouldn't be any of the Hulks. Hmm. I have to think about that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the fifth one would be. I have a uh, notepaper, by the way. I'm going to be keeping, like, school. Maybe maybe Iron Man... Th- did I say Iron Man 3 already? No, I didn't. Iron Man 3, I guess. Okay. I have, I have a new appreciation for that movie. I'm thinking that uh, my appreciation for it may go up, depending on what happens in Age of Ultron, because uh, it seems like it's actually laying the groundwork for a lot of stuff that goes down there. Well, I have a, I have a big theory on that one, but oh. I guess we'll see when it comes out. <laughs> There's a bit at the end of Iron Man 3 where it finishes, and it goes to the credits, and it's the... And That's the last part of the movie. It flat, it cl- goes in straight in on an Iron Man suit with glowing red eyes, and it's like Ultron, and he was hiding there all along. I, I, I think there could have been a version of Ultron around in Iron Man three. I think he the, was there all the along. Yeah, I think it's it's the it's the the point when the Mark forty two gr- like grabs Pepper when she's sleeping at night, and it's like, oh my god, that moment, mm. Ultron was born. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. That was great. Very nice. Fun. That was fun. That was great. Yeah. Cool.